What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Sight and Sound podcast presented by Heart Guide Media. And we are back here with the uh, second episode of season six. And thanks for anybody that tuned in to the Taylor Hawkins tribute episode. We kind of called an audible on that one, given, given the circumstance. So, uh, yeah, so here we are back in the, the thick of it. And we're going to do back to back music episodes. Uh, I know sometimes we get a little uh, lost in the weeds and uh, we get tripping in the fog on movies a lot. And we kind of forget about doing a lot of music episodes. But we have, uh, of course, uh, the, the consummate co-host, uh, Eric Scott Tyler. And today we have Mr. Greg Harrington from Neon Brainiacs joining us to do our top 10 lists of albums from 2002. <laughs> Oh yeah. So this is gonna be uh this is gonna be interesting. Obviously, uh we're pretty I think for the most part, you know, we all in two thousand two we were all big fans of heavier music or, or at least albums that came out in that time. And then um I know we stray I, I'm sure we all have those albums that we're gonna stray away from heavier stuff, but this is going to be uh, this is going to be a good one. And before we start, how did you guys feel about compiling the list? Did you did you was it easy? Was it hard? Did you guys did we did you guys hit anything where you were like, oh, shit, I forgot that came out this year. That's definitely going to go on this list. That literally happened to me like 10 minutes before I logged on here. Oh, shit. <laughs> where I was like, oh, fuck. Body count self-title came out. Where am I going to put it? And it ended up not making the top 10. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's so much. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say there, there's just so much that came out in those early 2000s. It's mm -hmm. it's so hard to keep track of what came out when. Yeah, I'm just like I was telling Greg, I'm just like so bad with dates, as you know, Jesse, like I I don't even like stuff seems way longer, you know, like way earlier than it came out or way sooner. But uh, putting this list together, I think, um, uh, you know, it's, I, I always, uh, I'm afraid that I left something off, but I, it's pretty fun. I think my, my list is pretty eclectic, so I, I think it'll work out. Hell yeah. So, uh, if our listeners are unaware, we do things, I, we've done this format with top movies before too. Um, so we are going to do that format for this top 10 of 2002 as well, where we will, each read off our 10 to sixes and then round robin our top fives. Uh, obviously, once we read off, each person reads off their 10 to six. Uh, as you're reading them, you can kind of give like little uh, little cliff notes on on each album, why it, why it entered there or anything like that. And then, the, you know, the other two respective people can ask, be like, OK, so you had this in your top 10. What's going on with that? And just have a little conversation before we round robin the top five. So let's dive into it. Who wants to go first for their 10 to six through six? Uh, Greg can go. That's totally fine. Yeah. Guess, guess, guess honor. Greg's a, Greg's a returning guest. I think Greg, this is what, this has got to be like your third or fourth time, right? At Down least here. three. Yeah. Cause there was Halloween three, yep. the uh, straight edge origin story, and maybe something else. Yeah, and then you and Ben still haven't done one duly on on this podcast yet, have you? Uh, no, our our uh, you know our separate guarantees are doable, but to pay for us together, yeah, that's is highly expensive. 
it's like getting it's like getting David Crosby. You're not gonna get Stills and, and Nash too, unless you're a fucking millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, oddly enough, I've had Lance on with Ben, but I haven't had you and Ben on together. So, and Lance just joined your guys's uh, podcast as the official third host, correct? He did. He's, uh, you know, I, I think he's earned his stripes, uh, kind of taking over my seat while I was uh, on a bit of a sabbatical. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. And then obviously, uh, un- unfortunately, Ben was on a sabbatical as well. But that ended up working out as far as your the podcast goes, because Lance is so fun to listen to just because he's a uh, he, he's such an admirer of 70s horror. And I, I know and him and I had talked about it when when we were talking to Boonies on here. Uh, so to have him in the fold, I think that, uh, that helps and brings another dynamic to, to, to neon that, uh, that I'm really enjoying. I, I fucking love that. There's a, the three man booth now. Yeah. It's uh, it's really interesting because obviously like Ben and I have known each other for quite a long time, played in a couple different bands before we started neon brainiacs. Uh, but Lance and I even go back further. No shit. Uh, and we actually worked together at a hot topic in 2008. So, like we knew each other through that Ben and Lance knew each other through film. And then I think Ben like brought up Lance and I was like, I know him. He's like, Oh fuck. Do you know? him? <laughs> so it's Pittsburgh's fucking- very small. I don't know if Syracuse is like that, but Pittsburgh is small. Yeah, it, it can be, but I'm just, uh, as Eric can attest as, as he, he's a former resident. Eric's on the Eric's in the, what, what are you fucking, I don't know what it is. I guess it's a half hour outside okay. of Philly. He's in, he's in the, the outskirts of uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh, south, cool. Southeastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, let's, uh, let's hop into this, Greg, you can do the honors. You can ring off your 10 through six. All right. So for me, starting at number 10, I went with on a wire by the get up kids. Damn. Get up. I, you know, I like Get Up it. Kids didn't even it didn't even ring into my head because I I just didn't I wasn't like a Get Up Kids fan, but they was one of those bands that like were always on your compilations mm-hmm. that you were getting, and they were just one of those like, I mean that's the most two thousand two band I can think of already <laughs> off the top. So perfect. Yeah, you're definitely yeah, I mean, not wrong. <laughs> full disclosure, I definitely have like a little list of like almost made it and and on a wire is on that yeah well we'll that's interesting eric because uh i i guess i me and you because i'm not really a fan so i guess that we've never talked get up kids but we're definitely gonna after we wrap with the top 10 then we'll go do honorable mentions for sure sure. oh thank god (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've got quite a few uh yeah so the Get Up Kids, uh, it, Jesse, it's funny you say you were never really like a huge fan because I definitely was. Um, I actually remember uh, finding out about them probably in like 1999 through a featured download on Napster uh, because I am old as fuck. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess like Doghouse or whoever put out something to write home about had some sort of um, kind of promo with napster where i think like them and like maybe another band that came out around that time where they would have like features on like the home page when you opened up like the peer-to-peer client and i remember hearing about them that way um you know definitely in my circle of like you know kind of uh friends around like the early 2000s uh they were all very much into the ghetto kids and then uh 
you know, 2002 hits and on a wire comes out. And if you're used to something to write home about and four minute mile, like a lot of their older stuff, you hear on a wire and you're like, why are they making like, it's like a get up kids record, like for my parents, it's very adult. <laughs> yeah. It's that maybe that's why, like, cause I was 14 in 2002. So maybe, I don't know. The, the get up kids, uh, an interest. I'm, I'm interested to hear what Eric has to say on it too. Like, so I mean, def- we're definitely going to, we're definitely going to ring. We're going to spring the conversation back around with get up kids for sure. And those, you say doghouse records. Oh my God. That brings me back. Cause I remember this compilation I had called make like a tree and leave. And it was doghouse records and a couple other like labels, like fiddler records or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Out of uh, Florida. Dude, yeah, dude, that was the shit. Like that introduced me like that comp. I think get up kids was on that, but you tell you right now, all American rejects before they put out that self-title was on there. Jimmy mm-hmm. world piebald as friends, Russ American nightmare. Like, that compilation introduced me to so much fucking music. Um, but yeah, well, I'm, we're definitely going to be talking more about that shit for sure. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of something that I'll touch on a little bit later with like uh, my top five, but like compilations were fucking huge around this time. So like, you're kind of sending me like spiraling back into like a time warp of like, you know, going to like national record Mart and just like, Oh, this compilation is $3. Look at all these bands that I like that are on it. I'm definitely going home with this. A lost, a lost art form indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for on a wire, like when it came out, like a lot of people, I didn't get it. I was just like, this is too adult. Like it feels weird. Like, you know, it's, you know, I don't know. It, it just didn't sit with me. But then um, they got back together in what, maybe 2006, 2007. Um, and I finally got a chance to see them for first, the first time. Um, and uh, I believe their second show back was this weird show they played at uh, the college that I ended up going to a couple months later, uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania with Bayside. It was like they played like the one show in Kansas and then got hired to play this like just one off like college show. So I technically saw their second show back and, you know, hearing stuff like Overdue and Campfire Kansas and even Walking on a Wire, hearing that stuff live in context with like kind of how they were playing those old songs at a later time when I was seeing them live, kind of put them into perspective and kind of caused the album to really grow on me uh, as a whole. Okay. Yeah. Are we, are we still, is, is he naming his like top uh, bottom, like six? Is that how it's happening? Or, or I keep going. We... <laughs> All right. Perfect. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I didn't want, I didn't know if it was my cue or something. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, I just don't want to skip over any get up kids discourse. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch back on it. Oh, for imagine. sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, my number nine, uh, still keeping it kind of light. Uh, you know, the heavy stuff's coming, but uh, I went with one beat by Sleater Kinney. That's an, yeah. that's another band that was so, I mean, Eric, you, you can attest to like, it's probably like, it's one of those bands that was always like peripherally on my radar, but I never really checked out other than like, do you guys remember Rollins IFC show? Oh yeah. Dude, yeah. they were on that. And I got, I got like, a itch for him for a little while and was listening to some of their shit, but never explored beyond that. 
Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, I've obviously heard of them, but I've never really dove into into their music. Um, something obviously now hearing it's on his top ten, I'm definitely going to check out. But yeah, nothing I, I never really checked out previously, to be honest with you. Yeah, earlier when I was kind of like making notes for this, I was trying to think back of like how I heard of this band, and like I don't know if it's old age or what, but like I don't have the slightest fucking clue of like how this band ended up on my radar. Uh, but I do remember very specifically renting this CD from the library, like in 2003, 2004, when I was like really getting into like kind of more like indie rock, like I would get this and like the rapture and like, uh, like new order and stuff like that. So it kind of got like mixed in there. Um, but it's funny because when I was thinking about this, I kind of felt like a much like on a wire, Sleater Kinney was kind of like Riot Girl for adults, where it was right. like they sound good, but like it still has that like grit and angst to it, but it doesn't sound like shit. <laughs> like I no res- you know, nothing but respect for like Bikini Kill and Bratmobile, but like sometimes the you know the musicianship was not as uh, as sharp as it is on like a Sleater Kinney album. Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely something, like I said, like naming some of the other bands that you just named like that kind of coincide with them. Definitely something I have to dive into, but I understand what you're saying about the kind of a, like almost when a band matures or, or something music, something happen, happens musically where they don't sound as, as rough. And, and you can tell they're really almost not, not so much that they're trying to take it more serious, but uh, they just have a different, uh, a different tone to them. Just like a natural progression. Right. Right. Yeah uh yeah that's uh number nine number eight i feel like this is gonna get a big pop here suicide notes and butterfly kisses by atreyu Woo! oh yeah that's uh (laughs) i I won't reveal where it is on my list but i'll I'll say right now it's in my honorable mentions but that one danced around the later half of my top 10 um and that was another band like it was just that album i mean i think the curse blows that one away and that's why it probably doesn't but that record i i loved so much and and the whole orange county thing for me was like really like just instrumental in me like just diving more and more and more into like heavier bands so um yeah uh yeah that's uh i mean i think that one while I think you could say that they were borrowing a lot of different stuff, they definitely had their own flair and flavor. And that one was just, and that was like a, I feel like that was a band at least in the early two thousands where it wasn't, there was such, such segregation to a, a point, And then there wasn't with bands that either did make up or wore like the all black thing or, you know, just had more of a metallic edge. There were so many different dichotomies of, metalcore going on at the time too but yeah oh man i could i could talk i could do a whole podcast on that album it's not even my <laughs> top 10 that's great yeah uh, a couple things jesse that you mentioned that uh i kind of wanted to touch on this is the only atrey record i give a remote shit about no shit I, like the curse on i like i think i heard like a couple songs off the curse i was like nah i'm done <laughs> the i I, I definitely love them, but the curse yeah. is what like really made me like, I had already loved to you. I'd seen them like a few times before the curse. Uh, so when the curse came out, like I was just, 
I, maybe uh, it's just something with my like childlike Cinemax late night mind having a, a scantily clad <laughs> redheaded vampire on the cover that played yeah. into the music. So <laughs> I, don't, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. That whole imagery of that like sold me on the record even before the songs did. But yeah, Suicide Notes, Butterfly Kiss, Kisses, and and I think it was it was before that the uh fractures in the facade or porcelain beauty like that was like mm-hmm. uh re-released i think ray around the time that came out too because there was like a you know like an original first pressing of it so but yeah that's another band like very like 2002 like on the scene like in instrumental in that year as far as like opening people up to different you know, facets of what metalcore was to be over the next couple of years. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like a band like this, like even if you weren't super familiar with like 18 Visions, who they were obviously copying like pretty hard. Uh, I mean, like 18 Visions kind of opened the door for Atreyu. Atreyu opens the door for Avenged Sevenfold. And then just kind of like the whole Orange County fashion core thing just kind of unfolds on itself from there. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, Jesus Christ, I could fucking form a goddamn podcast just on Orange County. Um, and you kind of did a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, at least for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, that, the one thing I wanted to, oh, Eric, please go ahead. Oh, no, I just wanted to just to say really quickly, like, yeah, like, a, I was never huge on a trade, but that record is, like, really the only one I I, I dove deep on. And I, and I do love, there's a lot of great songs on that record. I think it's, uh, I think in that era, it was a really powerful record, uh, you know, amongst other bands in that, in that genre and, you know, that in that time frame. So. Yeah, you're definitely right. Like, I, I mean, obviously at 35, some of it kind of like teeters that line of like, Ooh, this is like really corny and like kind of cringy, but like some of it's actually like legitimately like still holds the test of time when it's not like too melodramatic as far as like, like lyrically, I think some of those songs still hold up. I think because you are 35, Eric's 36, um, or 37, right? Or you're going 36, to be 36. You're going to be, be, be 37. Um, <laughs> maybe it's that, like, because you could even say with the curse, the curse is even more melodramatic with the lyrically and, and even more so with the cover, too. Uh, yeah. So maybe that few year difference between us is what, like, maybe my. Yeah, I, I definitely you're you're on par with your assessment of Atreyu, both of you. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that a couple of minutes ago where it's like, you know, like born in 1987 and before Suicide Notes is pretty cool, but the curse fucking sucks. 88 on you're like, the curse is sick. No, seriously, seriously, seriously. <laughs> just that one year difference for fucking real. Uh, so but before I move on, I want to tell one story that actually uh relates Atreyu and another record that I'll be talking about further on is uh, I remember it may have been 2002 like that year I bought a copy of Full Collapse by Thursday oh like I found Thursday I was like this band's fucking great Uh, they were you know probably one of my favorite bands for a good long while and uh, so I buy Full Collapse take it out of the jewel case open it up and there's a CD sitting on top of it and it's a four song sampler from victory that has coagulate by Snapcase, uh, ain't love grand by Atreyu, 
Um, great romances of the 20th century by Taking Back Sunday and Kill Your Television by The Reunion Show, which is how I found all four of those bands. Damn, yeah. That, oh, again, that's awesome. The compilations, Victory was huge on that, especially from like 2002 on. Oh, yeah. I mean, Victory style is like a legendary series. It's like up there with Punkarama. I mean, and they, you know, all the other labels ended up falling in suit. Trustkill, Mm -hmm. Ferret, all those labels. The the compilation was so integral. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, even just that that little clandestine, like, here's four songs on a a CD that we're hiding inside of the CD that you bought. (laughs) Like, just kind of opened up so many doors. And uh, yeah, I will be talking about at least one of those bands a little bit later. Right on. Oh yeah. All right. So number seven, kind of hitting the indie train a little hard again. Uh, I'm going with Suicide Invoice by Hot Snakes. Very nice. Again, and I feel like uh, I feel I feel stupid because there's a lot of bands I never I haven't really like dug deep on, like heard stuff from. But I think it's awesome that they're in your top ten for sure. These I know a lot. I know that these guys are like like people love love hot snakes i can honestly and truly say if i've ever heard hot snakes i'm unaware of it (laughs) that's that's actually a fair point um i mean obviously i think a lot of their popularity especially like around the time that suicide invoice came out was kind of i think they're like a ex-members of drive like jehu kind of uh situation um so you know obviously whenever you're in a good band and then you form another good band, people give a shit. Um, but yeah, this was, this kind of hit me in an interesting time. I think like in 2002, uh, my high school girlfriend at the time, uh, had an older brother who was like seven or eight years older that was into like a lot of like bizarre indie shit, uh, you know, kind of like burned her CDs who would in turn like burn them for me. So I heard like, you know, hot snakes and, uh, the buzzcocks and like bright eyes, like through like this kind of weird six degrees of separation. Uh, so I remember getting a copy of Suicide Invoice, and I was just like, man, this is like really weird and noisy, uh, but it still kind of holds that like, you know, kind of like post rock thing together uh, where it's not pretentious or boring. Like I feel like a lot of bands that were trying to do the same style. Um, at the time it's like you know kind of jangly but it's not like a british sea power kind of jangly uh and i mean even like some of the riffs are like kind of evil i guess it's like a broad term to you know as evil as like an indie rock band can get um but uh i was listening to a little bit of this uh you know probably like an hour before we uh jumped on here and i felt like it was kind of like a bizarro quicksand in like a good way um like like a quicksand wouldn't have come out of the new york hardcore scene this is probably what they would have sounded like okay now correct me if i'm wrong but hot snakes like toured with a lot of like kind of like really sludgier heavier bands right like don't don't they get kind of associated with a lot of those like some of the midwest like coliseum and bands like that like i do i feel like i do recall them like maybe they were on like a similar label or something like that but i feel like i, I used to see them like on a lot of shows like of those like midwest like you know uh, coliseum and young widows and stuff like that but i could definitely see them kind of getting lumped into the, like the louisville like kind of like you know dirty like hardcore rock thing yeah um, yeah so yeah you're, you're probably right um you know i'm sure like all those dudes were big drive like jehu fans probably big hot snakes fans 
So yeah, it wouldn't shock me if, uh, you know, if they toured together, like, you know, even like a heavier band, like Lords would be like, yeah, we fucking love Lords. Snakes. Like that wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise <laughs> me at all. Yeah. I think Lords is actually one I was like thinking of too, possibly, but or like, yeah. they, they get kind of lumped together a little bit, but that's cool. That's awesome. That makes sense. Cause like, uh, the one time, uh, I think I only saw young widows once, but it was on a tour with Russian circles and dialect. So obviously they were, you know, touring, they weren't just touring with bands that sounded like them. They were doing very eclectic tours. So yeah, I, again, I could definitely see a band like hot snakes kind of getting, you know, like adopted by, by Louisville as like a, a music scene. Right on. All right. So number six, and uh, Ben is going to kill me for this one. Cause we were just talking about this band and he was like, yeah, I used to listen to this band and it does not hold up. Uh, but I am going with living well is the best revenge by Midtown. They're, ha- they're just reunited, right? I- I've been seeing a lot of shit about Midtown. I think they're actually going on tour this year. They're playing Furnace Fest. That's actually what we were, we were talking about, Furnace Fest at work. And he was like, oof, Midtown. I was like, nah, dude, Midtown's sick. He was like, no, nah, they're not. <laughs> yeah, that was like one of the forgotten bands for a while. And I think, yeah, I just, because I remember I got turned on to Midtown, as I'm sure you guys can uh, attest to uh, how you get turned on to bands. I remember seeing Chad from Newfound Glory wearing Midtown shit, and I was just like, "Let me check out Midtown. I love Newfound Glory," yeah. and that's how. It and that's kind of uh, that's kind of how they were musically, right? Like that pop, like a poppier punk, like yeah. in that vein, for sure. Yeah, I kind of yeah. had that, like you know, like the the you know, tri vocal melodies, and like you know, like kind of had that, like we grew up on like Led Zeppelin and Kiss, but like we really like pop punk and wearing like thrifted <laughs> right. T-shirts. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, pop punk is, it was something I was very much into, especially this, uh, this time in my life. Uh, most of it doesn't really hold up now, but, um, I actually listened to almost this entire record, uh, earlier today. And I gotta say, like, it's very well formed as like a pop album, uh, even though it kind of was lumped into like pop punk, like it's definitely not like you know, nasally newfound glory, simple plan type stuff, uh, which, I mean, I was a big newfound glory fan for a long time. So like, you know, don't, don't misconstrue, uh, that as an insult, but, um, you know, there was actually, there's a band, uh, in Pittsburgh called punchline that was kind of like, I want to say like B or C grade, like pop punk where like, you know, they were doing a lot of these similar things as midtown and some other bands that were, um, you know, trying to basically be like a, you know, like a rock band. Um, but uh, I think it was never really fully realized the way somebody like Midtown uh, was, um, you know, like their song structures were very good. Their, um, you know, the guitar parts are, are very interesting. The solos aren't just like, you know, the, the opening riff to damn it. Like they're a little more complex than that. Like I said, like, you know, having like three layers of vocal harmonies on top of each other was something that a lot of bands weren't doing at the time. Um, so yeah, I, it, I was actually kind of shocked to see that they were getting back together. Cause you know, after they broke up, uh, you know, their singer goes on to do Cobra Starship, which was something I, you know, like to forget, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think this one really holds up for me. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, again, another, like, yeah, that's a Midtown's one of those bands that you literally saw everywhere. Like you, like Jesse said, you see someone wearing the, the shirt or you see them, 
touring with other bands that you knew, but, uh, and I, and I know I've heard obviously some Midtown songs from, from time to time. I'm, I'm sure I've heard something, but, uh, uh, maybe someone I should need, I need to dig uh, deeper on as well. I mean, I, f- I feel like the, that era of like the pop punk, uh, other than like some of the big dogs, you know, newfound glory and such. Uh, I didn't, I didn't scratch the surface on a lot of like the bands like that, like the Midtown or et cetera, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Sick. Yeah, that's, that's that's my bottom five there oh I, I love it love it yeah no i love it's eclectic and i feel like that's what mine's gonna be and i know it's jesse's as well so i'm excited but i'll uh i'll do my bottom half if that's cool you you yeah. guys let's go please do perfect i'm just gonna what i'll what i'll do i guess just to, so i don't uh take too long i'll just kind of name each one and i'll kind of give a little little excerpt and then i'll just i'll kind of just brush through them and then if you guys want to make any comments you definitely you know, we can do it that way if that's good. Yeah. Sure. So uh, number 10 for me, I have uh, Mastodon Remission. Um, you know, going to shows back in the day, and I know Jesse and, and I went to a lot of the same shows. Uh, I feel like in that time frame, I was listening to a lot of the metalcore, like, you know, the, the stuff that was going on, uh, you know, at that time. And, and when I heard Mastodon for the first time, shortly after this record came out, it kind of, it just hit me in a different way of, something I never really heard before. I mean, I think like back then I was so naive of hearing like you and, and you know how you are when you're, you're a bit younger too. It's like um, everything seems like it should be so cut and dry or whatever, but like mm-hmm. I knew that there was metal and I knew that there was hardcore and there was like metalcore, but this, like, for some reason, this just like hit really different, like such a crushing record. And, and uh, I think, you know, I think a lot of people, they have a huge fan base. Now they're so big. They're, they're a lot different musically, but like this record is just, uh, it just like it literally just punches you right in the face as soon as you uh, you flick it on there, and it's um, like I said at the time, and I didn't really hear anything like that, and it really just blew me away, and it kind of ignited a little love for them, and and uh, I can't say that I've really kept up on all their newest music, but uh, this one is this one is one of their better ones, and and uh, I think a lot of people who have been fans of them for a long time would say it's maybe their best, but I don't know about that, but. Um, all right, so number nine, this is a little change of pace. I have a piebald. We are the only friends we have. Mm, nice. um, this, you know, I, I do a full disclosure. I think this this might be the only piebald record I really like. And I, most of the other stuff I don't really love. But um, there was a time in like the mid 2000s, I think, for like a couple of years. I just like I just listened to this record so, so much. It's, it's so catchy. Um, it really speaks to that. I don't know, like that the music in that time frame as well like whatever you want to call it the indie emo s- stuff they, uh they're also one of you know they put on a great show i'm sure you guys have both seen them but uh, mm-hmm. they're one of my favorite shows actually i've seen them a couple times was, um some of the some of the souls once in albany which was a really fun show uh so yeah piebald we are the only friends we have number nine uh number eight i have a band called ugly casanova sharpen your teeth I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but uh, it's it's Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse, big Modest Mouse guy. Um, this record actually didn't come to me till much later in life. I actually never knew about it. Um, you know, just exploring more of Modest Mouse's like background, and I stumbled across this record. Super good, super catchy. If you're not a fan of Modest Mouse, which I know some people because they have a very distinct sound, aren't. I'd stay away from it. But if you are, definitely check it out. It's great songwriting. Uh, just really really great very much in that same vein as, as uh 
earlier modest monsters you say not this not the newer stuff but um number seven i have high on fire surrounded by thieves <laughs> so, obviously matt pike guitarist pretty much like the you know singer vocalist guitarist for this band everyone know him from knows him from sleep the very doom stoner slow and then he hits everyone with with high on fire which is complete opposite of just you know super heavy super fast um these guys have been doing it for a long time too i mean their newest stuff is so good um three-piece band i know now they have um the drummer who was in big business and like uh he's in murder murder city devils too it's really cool to see him at uh, added yeah it's really awesome stuff so uh, again another another record full disclosure that probably came to me later in life i don't think i was you know when i i wasn't a huge sleep fan so when i saw you know high on fire members of sleep i didn't really jump on it but uh, in the last some odd years high on fire i feel like one of the best metal bands going to be honest with you um yeah. so number six <laughs> this one a lot of people might i don't know might make fun of me for but it's actually audio slave the self-titled record I'm a huge Chris Cornell fan, love Soundgarden. Um, obviously, for people who aren't familiar, Audio Slave is all of the members of Rage Against the Machine besides Zach De La Roca. He was replaced by Chris Cornell. Um, I personally think this is this self-titled record is some of his best songwriting, Chris Cornell's songwriting. And I've always loved, obviously, Rage Against the Machine and, and musically, the, the meshing of those two I thought was amazing. And I think people kind of overlook it. I don't know. Maybe think it's a little bit of a joke, but I just think, I really think it's, like I said, it's some of their best work all as musicians and, and Cornell vocally. And, uh, and a lot of the lyrics he wrote for the, for these records, I think are really great. So. I got so, no problem yeah. with that at all. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like audio slave just gets like kind of a bad rap or I don't, I don't really know. It's almost like, like I said, like a joke or, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think everything they put out is re- is really amazing. So they're one of those bands that like, you know, a- as a kid that literally grew up like from seven or eight years old hearing rage and Soundgarden when audio slave came out, I was like, Oh, I don't like this. And then like, you know, just kind of hearing songs here and there over the last, like, you know, I guess 20 years, uh, I definitely have an appreciation for them, even though like they're not the type of band that I'd be like, I'm going to put this on and just like, you know, jam this whole album but like if i hear it i'm like yeah this is cool yeah yeah and i can understand that i can understand that completely and i felt i you know there was a time where maybe i felt the like i i when i when it was first announced i was like this doesn't make any sense like because i think i wanted (laughs) rage against machine to be a to be a thing so bad which i you know for the long i know they're back now but i you know i did for a long time but um yeah i just think there's something about the the songwriting it's it's weird when when a musician dies as well and i know we just talked about taylor it's just like so, there's something about especially a, a like a lead singer like going back and, and reading and listening to some of the lyrics it's just it's almost like it hits you heavier if that makes sense like it's like some of the songs that he wrote with audio slave about death per se are just just crushing to know then when he you know when he when tragic things happen it's i don't know but yeah, I think if anybody likes Rage Against the Machine or or Chris Cornell's you know vocals, should definitely give them a chance. They don't have a tremendous amount. Of, I think they only have you know two or three full length records, so mm-hmm. definitely worth the spin. 
Yeah, that's uh, I've been meaning to revisit the Audio Slave stuff because I'm not gonna lie, I've never been a huge uh fan of Cornell's vocals. Um, and I really hated that fucking single from Audio Slave back when it was like super in it. But like, I loved every other band around them besides yeah. Pearl Jam and them. I never could get into them. I had since revisited Bad Motorfinger and and really like that. Um. But I've been meaning to check out the audio slave stuff because I'm like I've slowly come around on Cornell a little bit as far as like what he could do. And, and unfortunately, it it took his death for me to be like, let me go re let me go revisit some Soundgarden stuff and then appreciated it. But the audio slave thing, I don't know why it just like I just never could never get to it because I was just like, I'd rather maybe because I just love rage so much. I was just like, I'd rather just have. Yeah. Rage. Um, but, I think I know you, you're talking about. I, I think I know exactly what like this, their very first single was like Cochise or whatever. I'm yes, pretty sure yes, that's yes, what I mean. it was. I yeah, I think the video. I remember the video being played like overplayed, and I could I could totally see why you'd be like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> it kind of gave it a weird. It it gave it a weird connotation. Maybe the I don't know the video, the song, but weirdly, but yeah. I wonder. I wonder if this uh, this association I'm thinking of kind of did them a disservice. I remember one of the first times I heard an audio slave song outside of seeing like a music video on like MTV two was, I think mm-hmm. that there's like a montage in Talladega nights where they play show me how to live over just like fast NASCARs. And I was like, Oh, this I, NASCAR is <laughs> fucking stupid. So this song is stupid by association. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that could be, we do uh, associate <laughs> shit. We do associate stuff with that. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny? You mentioned NASCAR. And I wanted to bring up. Did you know that? Do you guys know that back in like I think in the '90s, maybe there or like the 2000s, that NASCAR used to do like CD soundtracks, and they have like I think they have a couple that have like some metal like slayers on them and stuff. I literally yeah, saw one of these. I saw one of these on eBay, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" It was hilarious. I vaguely like. I vaguely want to say I've seen the NASCAR logo on a CD before, but I, I couldn't tell, I, I'd be lying if I said I knew that for sure, but I, it just, it's something I could definitely see for sure. Yeah. I just thought it was cool that they're like funny that they would, uh, hey, we need a soundtrack and they just like kind of throw, like they probably just have someone like throw some heavy music on here or something. And this, this, it would actually sick. be sick if they had, like Audio Slave, Slayer, and Travis Tritt all on the same. <laughs> hey, I would be down to that. Hey, Ghost did have their own uh, car paint paint for NASCAR this year. I saw. That's true. Did they really? Yeah, they like. Uh, yeah, yeah, they posted about it a couple weeks ago. You know, is is Hillbilly as the NASCAR gets associated with? They have a Jordan sponsorship now. They've had an, an NWO car. They've had, I mean, they really have. Kill, kill switch engage, kill yeah. switch engage car. It was fucking nuts to me. It blows my mind. <laughs> and a ghost car, yeah. See, that's the weird thing is like, I almost feel like NASCAR and wrestling are kind of going hand in hand where it's like, it's 2022. These things aren't just for like Walmart shoppers exclusively anymore. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, Eric's kind of, because Eric, Eric is actually kind of like in tune with some NASCAR shit. I like he is like I think Eric I think fuck I can remember when it was maybe four or five years ago we were watching like some races at your house and like just the vibe of it from when I you know my my older sister and her boyfriend used to watch it back in the day yeah um 
it just it is like a different more like i guess for a lack of a better word a more modern and like up-to-date vibe watching seeing how nascar is presented now as to when it was presented when like you know uh just a rusty wallace with the miller light car fucking you know what i mean like yeah i think well i mean obviously you know i mean growing up where we grew up i mean even though we're in central new york it's sometimes you think you're in mississippi um (laughs) so obviously like i had like a bunch of family and stuff who was into nascar when i was younger then there was a good majority of my life where i didn't care about it but uh so yeah i mean i think when i got a little bit older i just kind of you know, you just kind of pay time, you know, I'm a sports guy, so I pay attention or whatever, but uh, yeah, they definitely, um, how we're talking about NASCAR right now is hilarious, but uh, they've definitely come a long way in trying to clean up uh, and maybe broaden their horizons, I guess, so to speak, uh, from the I, fan base. I and, love and that we like went that. down this NASCAR rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, all started with Ricky Bobby. <laughs> we, yeah. We, <laughs> But I don't. I can't even. Re- I've seen uh, Talladega Nights or whatever. But I li- I can't remember that scene for the life of me. But that's hilarious. I'm gonna have to go back and find that. And I guess, like I said, I can see why that would be like. Eh, I don't care about this song anymore. <laughs> that's so. Uh, all right, I'll run down my ten to six, and then we'll round robin our top fives. Do it. So this was a little. This was hard, and I love that already. I can tell you right now, there is no crossover in our 10 to sixes hell yeah nice which is like what but you know what this is what i already love about like and i'm sure i'm gonna reiterate this at the end of the episode but already like i literally like just went to my spotify and got like slater kenny like loaded in for tomorrow to listen to some slater kenny oh my man like so this is exactly like why i love these episodes and just talking to uh talking you know, voicing all these things that we have in our fucking heads and, you know, being able to transport ourselves back to 2002 and what we were listening to. And it's going to, it's going to be a cool uh, episode for, I think people that are fans of music, because you're either going to hear shit you've never heard of and check it out or get reminded of something that you like. So, well, well, fuck it. Let's, let's do my number 10. This was a side project band. Uh, one album, one and done. I don't think any touring, handful of shows, boxcar racer self-titled. I was fucking huge on Blink, um, huge on Rancid. Um, I I think what's his name? The the one dude, uh, Adam Kennedy is the dude from Over My Dead Body. Over My Dead Body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a. Uh, uh, that dude is like currently in like the Angels and Airwaves band, right? Hasn't he been with like yep, Tom yep. DeLonge this like whole time? Yeah, like, he's musical? pretty much like he pretty much they formed Angels, I think, like you know after after Blink broke up, but he was working on that, and they had talked about doing Boxcar, but obviously with no Travis, and, and then I think at the time Tim was probably doing fucking a Transplants record with Travis. Um, yeah, he was doing the second Transplants album with Travis, so there was going to be no continuation of boxcar and angels and airwaves was just what DeLong wanted to kind of run with. So he's been with them since. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, that record just so fucking so cool. Like I love rancid love blink. Like, uh, just was so pumped on at the time. Uh, and it's blowing my mind right now that that record's 20 years old. Cause I remember buying it, going to Walmart, buying it, being pissed. I got the edited CD and then having to fucking go like, save up my money for like another month and a half till I can go to Ames and then buy the unedited version. <laughs> <Ames>. <laughs> yes. 
So Boxcar Racer, my number 10. My number nine. Now, this album, I heard it when it came out, and I thought it was cool. I liked a couple songs, but I never really engaged with it, pun intended, uh, with it until kind of, honestly, I'm not going to lie, until like after Howard Jones left the band, but Alive or Just Breathing Breathing by Killswitch, um, I just, I liked the album. I liked a couple of the tracks, but I really fell in love with Killswitch when Howard took over because I was such a Blood Has Been Shed fan. Mm. Um, and that's yeah. where I really, truly fell in love with Killswitch. But as years went on, uh, you know, Howard had went on like sabbatical before he even left the band. And uh, I know he, um, Jesse Leach actually returned at a Clifton Park show that I didn't go to. But Eric, that was, it was this was 2000, March 2010. Mm-hmm. They had, we had just gotten back from Saturday Nightmares. Oh, okay. And I fucking, I blew my wad meeting Romero for the first time and Ken Ferre. And I didn't have any money to fucking put in my 99 Chevy Cavalier to drive out to Clifton Park to see this. And I didn't even know that Howard had dropped off tour or whatever. And Jesse Leach filled in for the show. And that was his first real show back with the band before he ended up rejoining officially like a year and a half later. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so that, that he's still with them, right? So, I mean, it yep. was him and yep. then Howard and then him basically. Yep. Right? Exactly. Gotcha. But yeah, I grew, grew to love that record after revisiting it after, you know, after years had went by and, and Howard had, had subsequently left the band, but, but yeah, I was just breathing kill switch. My number eight, um, this, I was going to have, a little higher, but I was just trying to really be honest and I didn't want to just push it up just because it was Joey Ramone. Uh, but Joey Ramone, don't worry about me. I fucking love this record. Uh, you know, this was released after he died, uh, February, 2002. He died in April, April 15th, actually, uh, Easter Sunday, 2001, but they ended up releasing this album that he had been working on and they kind of just compiled it fixed the track listing and put this out uh posthumously but uh but yeah i love this record it's you know it's the last you know true like record he uh, you know a compilation of songs that he had recorded was put out as you know in 2012 but um or maybe it was 2015 i can't remember the release of that second you know joey ramon self-titled album uh, uh apparently joey's brother went full Tupac and he's just releasing all this material uh after death but um but yeah it's uh like I said I wanted to push it up a little higher but I I wanted to be truthful and honest of what I was really like what was really getting a lot of play and that one definitely did but the albums ahead of it definitely got more um and my number seven the used self-titled I don't know if that like because I'm 30 just turned 34 so I was 14 in 2002, and this when that uh, when the Taste of Ink the single came out, obsessed, like went out, got the record, fucking like love this record. It's, I mean, the record after that was good, but this record just was fucking phenomenally pop- poppy, and, and uh, the uh, I, I'm blanking on his name, Felderman, Feldman, the John, new oh, John, John, John Feldman, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, Goldfinger, dude. 
uh, produced it, and he ended up producing the fucking story of the year record. Which sonically, if you listen to those records, you can tell that that he yeah. definitely left his fingerprint on that. But I actually just he was just on Toby. Well, he was on Toby Morse's podcast recently. Did you listen to that one? Uh, I actually did. I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just you brought him up. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, he's. I I do love Goldfinger. <laughs> I didn't realize he had his hand. I didn't realize he produced all the shit that he produced. Like, honestly, you know, I, I had no idea. He helped for like, I mean, I think he might even talked about it in that one, but like story of the year has their own podcast and they talk about that all the time. Like how instrumental he was to like both the used and story of the years debut records being like so successful. Cause they just sonically just fucking kicked tits. It was, they were just so good, but the used. Yeah. Like, uh, and I know that band like went on to become like really huge and, and uh and honestly like my my love affair for them pretty much ended on the middle of that second record um but yeah that self-titled i I can't deny it um and number six this one now my from six down you're talking like some all-time records like if someone was going to tell me give me a list of 50 of your all-time records these six might all make that top 50 of everything, including every year. So it was really hard. And it may even sound a little sacrilegious to have this at number six and not higher, but hopefully I think that'll become abundantly clear why it's number six and there's five in front of it, but hate breeds perseverance. What a fucking record. Oh my God. This record, I think, uh, Oh man, it's just so fucking heavy. And it, it was, I, I, your satisfaction was one thing. And I was, I like satisfaction. And I, now I could probably say that satisfaction's probably my favorite. But up until about 10 years ago, it was always perseverance, like uh, a call for blood, fucking all these songs, like uh, uh, proven, like all these, fu- oh, fucking, this record's so fucking heavy. And it did usher in, unfortunately. Um, you know, I had, I had not seen hate breed until this record was already out. So I had kind of missed out, I guess on the, you know, the pre fat, sweaty, bald guy, just hurting people in the pit hate breed. Uh, I think they were always there, but they were more pronounced after perseverance. Um, (laughs) but yeah. It's uh yeah perseverance. Yeah, after, after perseverance, everyone in the crowd was wearing hate breed shirts. So that's yeah, one of the Yeah, you just, just nailed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I uh, perseverance. I think is good. You know, obviously, call for blood. I will be heard. Like those are hate breed staples. But I don't know. Like something just. I think because I heard satisfaction first, and then I heard perseverance as a whole much later. I just like. I think it's hard for anything in their catalog to hold a candle to satisfaction. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you on that. Definitely. It's, I will say this after pers- perseverance for me, I don't know, maybe it was just, maybe it's that year to, to three year difference, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I fell in love with the record before I went to the show and you can say what you want. It's just, I mean, it sucks that it's a part of it, but crowds to certain bands affect how you feel about a band especially if i remember going to see hatebreed and getting fucking obliterated and part of me was just like this fucking sucks i don't ever want to see hatebreed live again 
this is terrible. Like I can't even like I can't even like freak out to sing along to the songs because there's some fucking dude with no shirt and his pants falling down with a fucking big overgrown red beard and a shaved head and he's just fucking like destroying people. Uh, and that took the fun out of shows in like that era too. For those heavier bands, I know Terror was another one for years, for like ten years. You it sucked to go to Terror shows because there were such douches there. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Perseverance. Yeah, I mean, I love I love that record, and I, and I, I think that I think also we come to, from a time where we saw the turning points in a lot of bands and that like, that was like a turning point for them. Like, obviously like, I mean, you know, looking back, it's so early in their, in their career. But for me, like thinking about going to shows, I'm just like, man, when everything changed, when that record came out, it's like, it's like, so it's such a early release for them, but yeah, I mean, it's such a a hardcore band on universal records. Like it was pretty fucking, Mm -hmm. it's kind of mind boggling still. Yeah. And you got to give it to Hatebreed as much as whatever, however you feel about music or whatever, like they didn't really, change. I mean, for what I could hear, they don't, they don't really change. It's pretty impressive to just put out this, put out that much. I mean, you, how many records do they have out? You would know. I don't even, like I said, I, I, I kind of trailed off after. I think they're on record seven now, maybe eight. I think the newest one's eight. Yeah. There's, and that's and I'm, and I imagine sonically they're not that much different correct well they could change they'll tweak stuff with vocals where it's more of that like strained crowbarry vocal mm-hmm. okay yeah like they'll do like that stuff and obviously like when wayne came back in the band which is a dude that was on and fucking under the knife and then the motherfucker ends up coming back in like 2008 or 9 which yeah. is amazing because then he becomes like the main songwriter after like, yeah, this dude just fucking on under the knife. I didn't, he might not even played on under the knife. Yeah. Maybe I didn't even think he did. I think he was in the first couple incarnations of hate breed in 94, 95, whenever they formed. And I'm not even sure if he even played on, uh, on that, but yeah, he came back and definitely more, even more. So I feel like every time more of that metallic edge, but Obviously draws the like monster arm band, armband wearing kids that are just. <laughs> I think you, I think you got to touch on how we when we saw Hatebreed that one time they played Under the Knife and uh, Greg. Satisfaction in their entire. Oh, Greg, 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 I'm gonna yeah. set the fucking stage for you. Please. This is, so, so Hatebreed had had they had done the Stillborn Fest, which is they do like a couple fucking Northeast shows. They do like Poughkeepsie and they try to do like a Buffalo date. Or, yeah, they used to that used to come to Pittsburgh when like yes. Club Lago was open, like early two thousands. Yes, dude, they would do like the fucking they would do do it like in December. So in two thousand nine, they had a fucking show scheduled at the Lost, or actually, it might not even been at the Lost at the time, and it got canceled, and everyone was fucking pissed. At Eric, I remember you and I were fucking, and maybe you and I weren't even as tight at the time, but. I can't remember because we it was right around then when me and you started really really hanging out and yeah yeah I think it was I think it was the the show was technically can't yeah they canceled before I think and then that following year they came and repaid the show and I had seen the Poughkeepsie show in 2009 with another friend so they announced that they're coming back to Syracuse and they had just can't they had canceled Syracuse like twice once prior to that and then they canceled it they show up there was no we didn't get told beforehand that they were doing that. Right, Eric? Yeah, no, they never, it wasn't like announced or anything. 
they fucking greg they literally like i think it was like a life once lost played thy are that thy will be done and like a couple other and and a life once lost was already like over their fucking like heyday period like they were barely playing shows but so Haybreed comes on and they literally just kick in and barely say anything and play all of under the knife and then immediately play all of satisfaction right after that what the, the entire, fuck? Yeah. at the fucking amazing. which i don't know if you've been but the lost horizon obviously a local legendary syracuse venue and it's it's obviously a, a smaller venue and especially it was small for Hatebreed when they played it in 2004, they shouldn't have played it when they played it last in 2004. They ended up playing it six years later in 2010, playing under the knife and satisfaction in full. Dude, that's incredible. I've actually never seen Hatebreed. Uh, every, they come here pretty often, but every time just like, it never works out. Right. The closest I came was uh, they were doing the divinity of purpose tour. Yep. And it was, uh, Hatebreed, Every Time I Die, Terror, This Is Hell, and Job for a Cowboy. Yeah, I remember I like, that. I remember that tour, yeah. I was like, I have to go to this. And uh, the Power Balance band I was in at the time had a show across town with Iron Long. <laughs> so no. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> but like, yeah, dude, like, I mean, like, Hatebreed and Pittsburgh are very, like, tightly linked, even though you wouldn't think it because Hatebreed was like a very direct influence on a lot of like the late, like mid to late nineties beatdown bands that were actually kind of originating in Pittsburgh. So like no retreat built upon frustration, like, like beatdown kind of was birthed in Pittsburgh, whether or not that's a good thing. It depends on your outlook on it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, dude, like there've just been, I've heard tons of stories of just Hatebreed just playing Pittsburgh at, you know, big venues like club zoo or you know even small places like Millvale Industrial Theater as like a secret Ozfest after show and just everybody kicks the fuck out of each other like right I remember the Club Zoo show was in 2006 it was Hatebreed, First Blood, Napalm Death, Black Dahlia Murder, Despised Icon, and Exodus. Jesus, that's and what I, did I love sh- about Hatebreed though. They've always brought out those when I saw yeah. them in Poughkeepsie in 2009. They literally played. They had the fucking casualties, which I hate the casualties anyway. Yeah. But, um, and not not even to mention how shitty that singer was. But he also fucking he smelled like he fucking like his like he, <laughs> like, like what his actions ended up being. He smelled like what those actions. Probably were. <laughs> you smelled like a creep. <laughs> you, you smelled like sin. You piece of shit. Um, <laughs> Uh, but also like who the fuck else played that like crowbar and like fucking like Acacia strain and yeah mm-hmm. casualties like well I think that's what's that's what like is great about Hebrew is like they could they bring out a hardcore band they could bring out like a punk band they could bring out a metal band like you know what I mean like yeah. or, or they tour with all of that and I think that's what's kind of appealing about them to the masses is like they kind of connect with with uh, with everyone so yeah, for sure I mean they didn't play with piebald but yeah well we don't know that well, yeah definitely, they might have definitely yeah, did a hellfest i guess, I guess it, uh, technically a hellfest they did so i guess that that counts so well all right boys we're in the top fives let's round robin our top fives we'll we'll snake it so i'll start with my five and we'll go back around eric and then to greg all right Perfect. number five a metal fucking this album i still put it on and there are very few records where I literally have to like Bridget, my, my girlfriend, Greg, she will look at me like I, when I'm driving down to like, we're driving down to see Eric and I'll throw on 
The Art of Balance by Shadows Fall. And my fingers can't fucking move fast enough to mock those fucking <laughs> solos and act like a complete idiot while I'm driving because this record is so fucking cool. It's so fucking heavy. And they close it with a fucking Pink Floyd Welcome to the Machine cover that is so sick. And there's just so much riffage, so much fucking cool ass fucking just riffs. And it's unapologetically like metal, but they were also a band that were able to play with hardcore bands like super easily. And we're just accepted in the hardcore scene to a degree too. And the Art of Balance is fucking so phenomenal. I love this fucking record so much. I love this band so much. They are a total blind spot for me. Like I, I know who they are. I've heard a couple songs. I was just like, yeah, this is okay. Like it never really clicked for me where I like, I felt like I had to dig deeper, but yeah, that's, that's fucking wild. And I'm sure that like the overcast connection probably had something to do with like, you know, kind of them being accepted in like hardcore and playing shit like Hellfest and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they're they're one of those bands that like, I just, I I couldn't tell you a single song. Well, they're another one that had like that, that metallic, you know, like when, when we saw them, like, I think, and I know you guys could attest to like there's those bands you see that are playing a show with other like hardcore metalcore bands, but like there's something about them like musically like kind of a, a, a step above. I always for felt sure. I always sure. I used to feel that way about Unearth back in the day, like the early days. One hundred percent. Yeah, these guys were like, and I always put those two bit like Shadows Fall and Unearth kind of together. Maybe not. I'm not saying they sound exactly the same, but it's just like. There's just something about them musically where these guys are just, yes. they're amazing. Like musically, they're amazing. They put on great shows. Yeah, that, um, you you just nailed it because I've always said that too, that especially Massachusetts, like metal bands like that, like, you know, and you could throw in, you know, the, the kill switches and the fucking, the, the bands that I'm even a lesser fan of, say like early Oliver Remains and shit like that. But like Shadows Fallen on Earth, music, musically, are 100% a cut above all of them even kill switch like even like like uh jonathan uh donaz and fucking um matt bockard the two guitarists in shadows fall are fucked and, and, and for that matter uh ken uh ken susie and buzz mcgrath from unearth those four guys like fucking are phenomenal and greg if i could if i could tell you to check out anything i'd tell you to check out of one blood their first full length their first real full length um with uh with brian from overcast and the art of balance the art of balance is if you can truly appreciate like aggressive super you know that the pure american metal that was like labeled in those early 2000s when headbangers ball came back uh it's it's punishingly impressive as far as the guitar work and and obviously you know and the vocals just being so brutal obviously yeah but yeah, that was my number five. Art of Balance. Right on. All right, so I'll go. So I actually have it's it's not the traditional full length, but I have uh, the Alkaline Trio Hot Water Music Split. Um, nice. Two, yeah, two of my favorite bands. Um, they both cover each other. Um, it's just a, just a great record. I think some of the original songs on this uh, split are amazing. But uh, you know, Hot Water Music covers uh, uh, Radio and Bleeder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I mean, I love, obviously I'm a huge Alkaline Trio fan, but I almost think that sometimes I'm like, man, is this, is this, is this a cover of radio even better? <laughs> like sometimes I really feel that, but uh, uh, yeah, I love both bands. Um, I love that they, uh, this split is one of my favorite splits like ever. Um, and I honestly think it's like, 
if you look at their catalog, like I, I, I put, I put it above some of their full lengths, both, both bands, but yeah. So number, uh, number five for me, uh, Alkaline Trio, Hot Water Music, they're split on Vagrant Records. Hell yeah. Vagrant Records. I was always a, a, a big fan. Like I, I love a cover song, which I'm going to talk about in a minute here, but like, I was always a huge fan of those like splits where like the bands cover each other. I know like BYO had a, a big series with like no effects and rancid bouncing souls, AFI, um, Leatherface did one with somebody. I can't remember who it was. Uh, maybe some, well, I know exactly. Band. Yeah. The BYO splits. Yeah. And they, and they would cover each other. Right. Cause didn't, um, the Bouncing Souls was with um, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, were. I remember yes. having the the No Effects Rancid one for sure. Oh, that one's probably the best one. Yeah, I, that one was like a staple for me. Yeah. Um, have either of you actually heard the um, the uh, Two Minutes of Late Night's been doing that special Splitsville thing where they get two bands to do like a song of each uh, others? I yeah, I, I don't I, think yeah. I have. Okay. I, I was telling you about it. I remember Jessica. You told, you told music, me about it, but I haven't checked it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Hot Water Music teamed up with Terror. <laughs> well, and I know Vogel's a huge Hot Water fan. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and it works. Like, Hot Water Music did Keepers of the Faith, and Terror did Three Summers Strong, and both of them yeah. completely work. I was like, I don't, like, are, are we sure that this is going to be a thing? But, yeah, it was yeah. great. Yo, dude, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it was so awesome. Um yeah, I knew I actually I had a feeling Terry was going to cover Three Summer Strong because I remember a long time ago, I remember Scott Vogel talking about uh, Hot Water Music, uh, that they listened to him in the when the Buried Alive days, that they used to listen to him a bunch. And he brought up that record and that song. So I had a feeling that's what that's what they were going to do, which and I was super pumped. When I did. I, I uh, they did like an actual vinyl too, which I ordered, but I don't think it's coming till 2027. So, um, <laughs> yeah, this one is kind of take I just wanted to throw that out there really quickly. <laughs> but yeah, that two minutes to midnight. Um, the guy who does that is kind of goofy, uh, but uh, they do some cool shit. Like, didn't they just do one with Cave In and somebody? I think Cave In and Every Time I Die. Um, oh, yeah, that was yeah. the first one, I think, actually. Yeah, uh, Every Time I Die did Youth Override It. I can't remember which Cave In song Every Time I Die did, but they did one with like oh, this... um, Integrity and Nothing. They did the most recent one, I think, was Touche Amore Circus Survive. So, like, yeah, that that's really cool. Ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is really cool. Yeah. Hearing, hearing hearing other bands cover each other especially bands that are like you know it's not like somebody covering like yeah they're contemporary although that, at least some, yeah some. although that shadows fall pink floyd cover i do think is amazing i do love i do love pink floyd well a certain era of pink floyd i love but yeah that that cover is so awesome fuck yeah all right dig into my numbers five and four here so number five is going to tell all your friends by taking back sunday yeah this dude this one so I had this in my list and it ended up getting popped out for an honorable mention just because I like the following record more, which initially I'd never thought would be the case, especially after Sean Cooper and John Nolan left. But mm-hmm. this record is, I mean, I think this record's responsible for a lot of bands copying the style than I think's even given credit for 20 years later now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like this was kind of on, you know, Great Romances of the 20th Century was on that sampler inside that copy of Full Collapse. Yep. And I heard the whole thing. And I honestly, like, Your So Last Summer is kind of like uh, is skippable for me. 
but like everything else I think really holds up, even though like, like you said, this is probably mostly responsible for a wave of really bad music. <laughs> yeah. Everyone just really, I think unapologetically copped their style. And I think back then people really didn't, I don't want to say gatekeep, but they didn't really take notice or care because I think there was so much music out there that no one was really acknowledging that there was full blown rippage of taking back Sunday going on. Um, especially just like, I mean, brand new, obviously simultaneously, like, you know, pretty much in the tie in of course, but Mm-hmm. Uh, brand new was a, another band I think for the especially their first two records like so many bands ripped it off and tell all your friends I can name literally probably five to six bands that I'm not sure that they would have a career in the style that they play if it wasn't for this record oh absolutely plus I mean like just Long Island was really just popping the fuck off at Big this time. point I mean you had like the movie life uh the reunion show uh kind of evolving into action action which was like considerably darker uh, so I'm sure, you know, took a, a few nods from, from this record, um, action, but fucking action, oh dude, I love action. action. I, I think that's a band that nobody talks about, <laughs> dude. I have not heard the action action name in fucking 15 years. Holy shit. I I'm a that huge sucker for, for shit with like keyboards and that stuff completely holds up, especially oh, that second record. I was, I was all into it at the time for sure. I was in a band that sounded like them, so oh, that's <laughs> couldn't help it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 funny that you uh, that you brought up Taking Back Sunday's second record because this is another band that, like, outside of like uh, a decade under the influence and make damn sure, I don't care about anything that came after this record. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think that was a, a high percentage of people, a high mm-hmm. percentage of people. And I think they kind of captured a different audience when when um, Fred and, and Matt Rubio came in. Yeah. Or Matt Rubano, whatever his name is. Uh, I can't even remember what the kid's last name is. But um, yeah, it definitely captured like a newer. And I think they kind of, interestingly enough, but to differing degrees, had the same trajectory as Brand New did. While they didn't have a huge jump off and mute it, the way their music sounded like Brand New did, I think there's fans of those first two brand new records. And even that second brand new record, Deja and Tendu is different than, than, um, than your favorite weapon. But I think there are fans of like those first two records and, and friends of or fans of tell all your friends that aren't necessarily fans of the rest of taking back Sunday, which is so interesting because that harkens back to like a lot of, bands of like the 70s and stuff and like you could even go as far back to say like maiden there was people who loved the killers record but then did not give a fuck when bruce dickinson came yeah. yeah i bet you no one thought we'd dive into nascar and relating taking back sunday to iron maiden <laughs> <laughs> only on hard god media baby i love it all right, so let me let me get a little bit of cred back here uh, with my number four. Going with a compilation, uh, the uh, "Rise Above" twenty four Black Flag songs to benefit the West Memphis Three. Fuck yeah, that's a great one, Damn. dude. Yeah, that Gosh. one was so, dude. Because I, I was so, and I'm sorry if I'm fucking being a conversation dominator, but you just please fucking, do. You literally just fucking swung me back into like a distant memory of my past, saying <laughs> that because I was so, even as a kid. 
And I think it's kind of in hindsight now, my parents, I mean, my parents had questionable decisions for letting me watch some of the stuff I watched anyway, but letting me watch those doc, those paradise lost documentaries as a kid, they were, those were fucking dark as shit because it's real life shit. But that had that I was so invested in that, like from being a kid on. So when that came out and and they did that, like, I remember how cool that was. And I haven't thought about that, that record in so long. That is that's kind of taking me back right now thinking about that. Awesome that you put a compilation on here, too, by the way. Yeah, I mean, like. I've been a, a fan of Henry Rollins like ever since I was literally seven years old and I saw fucking Rollins band play Woodstock 94 on MTV and then like kind of went backwards and like oh years later I'm like oh he was in this other band I'm getting into punk what's Black Flag all about right uh and was that's just awesome like, yeah and, and just like I've I've ridden for Rollins era Black Flag like ever since I was in eighth grade so I'm going on like 21 years of just like Rollins is the best black flag singer, period. Um, Can I just say that? I think it's awesome that you discovered Rollins like through Rollins, like you started off with Rollins band. I think that's really cool. I don't, you probably don't hear that that often. And I think obviously his work with Rollins band probably doesn't get enough love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially that era too. I mean, like the, uh, you know, like when Liar was big and like even everything before that, uh, you know, like when I did like a deep dive probably like 10 years ago on like the Rollins band discography and heard Lifetime for the first time, I was like, this is a punk record. Cause I know they kind of get like, you know, kind of like jazzier and funkier as they go on. But like Lifetime is like, that could have been, that could have been a like a legit black flag record before Greg Ginn, you know, took too many mushrooms and was just, you know, <laughs> was just like, oh, this musical scale is a song now. Like, yeah, it's, um, it's that's, it's so funny to think I, and I'm with you there. Uh, I'm a I'm a staunch believer in the only good flag is Rollins flag. Um, and I know I get I I've gotten shit from friends that are big Black Flag fans, but I am yeah I'm the, I, the only Black Flag I care for, aside from like a couple tracks with like Keith on it. Um, I'm I'm full support of Rollins flag is the only good flag. I should specify like. I I like it all, but I think Rollins era is the strongest. Oh, for fucking sure, without a doubt. Yeah, but I mean, dude, Rise Above has like so many fucking crazy guest spots because, uh, you know, if you're not familiar, it was basically Rollins and his backing band, um, you know, just basically recording Black Flag covers and just calling in favors and just having random people come in and, and do vocals. Uh, I mean, you got... Chuck D making an appearance, Lemmy, Iggy Pop, uh, Corey Taylor from Slipknot, uh, Tom from Slayer, Ice T, um, even the dude from fucking Poison the Well shows up at some yeah, point, yeah. which is admittedly probably one of the weaker performances, even though I love Poison the Well. But yeah, it was, you know, basically just this giant compilation to raise some money to, um, you know, help out the West Memphis Three uh for you know those of you who aren't aware we're you know three kind of like outsider goth kids uh that were basically kind of you know fingered for the murder of a few kids in their neighborhood and kind of you know like tail end satanic panic type stuff turns out they didn't do it and uh you know even just a few years ago uh you know kind of the the ringleader was kind of 
you know, freed from prison finally. So they, yeah, they, well, that's what's so, I mean, again, I could start a whole fucking podcast on the West right. Free, but yeah, t- it was a 2011 while they were filming like the third, like do- documentary part of it or whatever, yeah. you know, they ended up having to, they, they all got released on the Alfred plea, which is pretty much saying you're pleading guilty and, and excusing any of the state's actions while prosecuting you and their, their lack of investigation into other suspects. So you can't take any kind of action against them, but you also right. get free, but it's, it doesn't, it's such a hypocritical and contradictal, uh, uh, law too, because you're admitting, you're admitting guilt while proclaiming innocence, but it frees you. So it's pretty much legally saying like, yeah, you didn't do it, but you're going to say you did. So you can't come after the state. It's so fucked up. Yeah, we're letting letting three child murder supposed child murderers out like yeah you're you're moralist fucking dick suckers um but anyway yeah i don't want to get too far into that really pissed (laughs) off um but yeah what a fucking what a throwback to think back to that what a great fucking entry on the fucking top 10 having that comp hell yeah yeah super awesome all right. For me, uh, I'm not going to speak too much on it because we uh, recently kind of potted about it. But uh, number four for me is Foo Fighters one by one. Uh, I love, obviously, every one of their records. This is what their fourth release. Um, like we were talking about on the pod, we did about Taylor and such. Uh, every record has so many strong songs and, and this one as well. Um, I think... Yeah, I mean, every one of their records almost like a like chrono, like just brings back such nostalgia from life you know what i mean like what's going on in life because i just i, I just, every time they had a record drop it just kind of just just buried myself into it so yeah number four for me true fighters one by one fuck nice. yeah okay yeah. my number four and uh i don't have i don't have one by one on my list um because i'm not gonna lie and say i listened to it a ton back in the day i did listen to it and i did own it but these these records that are on this list, I think, truly dominated my 2002. Now, I will say probably the following year is when I really, really, like, was all in on, like, one by one. Because I don't think I bought that record when it came out. Because I think it came out in September 2002. But I do not think that I bought it in right. 2002 i might have got it like early like maybe spring 2003 and i so i knew the singles but i hadn't bought the record um so that's the only reason i didn't really throw it in there so um, yeah good i mean i definitely put stuff on my list that i i discovered after 2002 but yeah, <laughs> i don't know yeah. if that's a cheat but no <laughs> no I did too. <laughs> it, no it's not but like i guess for me it was just like stuff that like yeah it could i guess to an extent maybe this stuff no i I want to say a lot of this stuff I probably discovered in 2002, at least like when I think back to 2002, these were the immediate records I thought of. I got right. that. Perfect. Perfect. But like, there was no, like there was, there was no like set rules. This is my own like fucked up complex of rules that I create in my head and don't tell anybody about. And then reveal them <laughs> during the episode. Um, but my number four is this one bounced around from two to four. The one spot was always uh, undisputed, but this one bounced around from four to three to two a million times. And I, I had to settle on it with four, but Finch is what it is to burn. Interesting. This record blew my fucking dick into the fucking playground dirt. 
and I was just so obsessed with this record, so obsessed with this band. I love everything this band's done. Um, this record was so like instrumental for me as like a teenage, I won't call myself a musician cause I just sung, but uh, I was in, you know, high school bands and stuff like that. And just like, even before I had an, a legitimate band, I just jammed with my friend Rick, who was a guitarist. And I remember just us both being blown away by this record and just trying to like, just, you know, create a sound that sounded like Finch. Cause that's the kind of band we wanted to be in type thing. And it was just, this whole record's just so fucking good. A monumental fucking drive-through release. Um, um, just so fucking so integral for me. I love this record. Kind of heavy for drive-through. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah this, I loved this record to be honest with you. And this is, it's funny. Cause I've, I know I've said this a couple times uh, on this pod, but not like another band where, I heard this record and I love this record. I listened to a bunch, but I really beyond it. I, I never really listened to much from them, but yeah, that, that was my biggest thing about this band was they were, they were heavy as hell. Did they do much after this record? So they put a record out uh, called say hello to sunshine in 2005 after this. And then there was like, all I remember them playing a show and I think it was with may. If either one of you remember. Oh, wow. And it was at the loss. It was at the loss, which was at the time renamed Club Tundras, 2005. And this record had that record had just come out, and it was like a it was like a Monday or Tuesday night, and it was really weak showing. And uh, while the band killed it, like this, their second record just wasn't as acclaimed either by by fan or by critic. And they kind of just like bounced around, broke up in 2006 came back like in 2008, put out like a little EP, broke up again, reformed in 2013 or re reformed in 2012, put out a live, what it is to burn uh, in full, like a live recording of it at a show where they played the whole record, put out a vinyl, were officially back, released a record in 2015 that is fucking called Back to Oblivion, which is fucking amazing. And then imploded almost immediately after and have not spoken to Nate Barcalo, uh, the vocalist, and they have not like, uh, done anything since. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know much about that band. Just like I said, just that record, but that's awesome. Yeah. Great record. Definitely recommend their whole discography. Perfect. We on back to me, back to me. Top threes. Top threes. All right. Oh, wait, no, I, I give, no, I, I would give my three now, right? And then, and then, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, so number three, uh, this one bounced these top four, just all these, you know, two through four bounced around a lot. Uh, Greg, you'd already mentioned this band. This band was probably as important. I mean, 18 Visions is definitely my second favorite band of all time. And I don't mm -hmm. say that lightly and by trying to discredit or put that band in second place because I love them so much, but the Ramones are literally like what got me into like just alternative styles of music altogether. Uh, Cause my favorite band before them was just guns and roses, but uh, yeah, poison the well tear from the red celebrating 20th anniversary, getting re put out on vinyl, a 20th anniversary via Greg Puchato's record called Federal Prisoner this year. This record was so fucking instrumental to me. And I know how Opposite of December was so instrumental and influenced so much. And that's honestly what got Poison the Well on my radar. But I was like 
jamming and fucking stoked on Poison the Well. And then they put this record out and I had been able to see them, my, you know, very first show. And it fucking like, I love this band so much. And this record's so fucking like near and dear to me. And I always think, I always think that too. And I mean, it kind of proves it just this 2002 podcast. It kind of, um, it kind of reinforces it. I was always like what, you know, people that, you know, I was either not necessarily friends with, but what, what most people would revere like suicide notes and butterfly kisses uh, that were more of my like contemporaries. I was the curse guy or everyone was the opposite for December guy. I was a tear from the red guy. So I was like a yeah. record later. And I think it is that like small gap of like one to three year age difference where I got super fucking stoked and pumped and tear from the red is just, uh, it, it's my opposite for this of, of December. What, what opposite of December is to most people. And I love and, and appreciate the influence of that record. That's what tear from the red is for me for poison. Well, I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that record. Obviously <laughs> I'm an opposite December guy for sure, but tear from the red, I thought was a great, a great follow-up. Um, I, you know, I love that band, that band, if I could speak there, there's a handful of bands when I guess if you want to call it hardcore or metalcore, that kind of represent my youth and going to shows and poison the well is definitely, you know, one of them, at least for, for an era, we started going to shows and, you know, early, early two thousands. And, um, they played Syracuse a lot. Uh, yeah. yeah, this this record is great. I was super pumped on this record. Um, they're just a great band, yeah. See, I kind of have the same outlook on Poison the Well that I do with Hatebreed. Like, Opposite of December, an absolutely perfect record. Hit me at, like, you know, the, the best possible time it could. But everything that came after that is good. And Tear from the Red obviously has Botchlo, which is, like, probably a top three Poison the Well song. For sure. But, like... Just nothing after opposite of December hit me the same way. Yeah, it's, I mean, I feel like because that record was so influential and just like literally ripped everyone's assholes wide open mm-hmm. that it was, they, <laughs> they almost, I mean, the fact that they could get anybody that's as, as huge of a fan as Tear from the Red as I am is impressive because that's how instrumental and integral and important opposite of December was. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like like the same. Like I feel like after Tear from the Red, I definitely fell off big time. Like I've I've listened to, I think every record beyond that, but I don't think any of them grabbed me beyond Tear from the Red. That's for sure. Yeah. So. Perfect. All right, we're gonna over my number three here. We're gonna change. I think it's probably the the most offbeat of all of them that anyone's named. My number three is. Uh, Johnny Cash, number four, The Man Comes Around. Nice. Um, so th- I'm sure uh, most people are familiar, but later in Johnny Cash's life, he teamed up with Rick Rubin and put out a whole bunch of records on American recordings. Um, this is one of them. Uh, you know, obviously he had his hits that everyone knows, but I feel literally like some of the work he did with Rick Rubin just kind of, uh, I don't know, just – so it's amazing stuff. A lot of this is covers, you know. I mean, he covers on this one here in Nine Inch Nails, and obviously not on this fair, one. He did a lot of covers in his career too, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't think anyone like is getting, you know, I'm not getting down on him, but I think I mean, I, I just thought, you know, thinking back in the day, Johnny Cash doing Nine Inch Nails covers, you know, Danzig covers, fucking <laughs> yeah. uh, Soundgarden covers, but. I, you know, I, I listened to Rick Rubin uh, talking about working with Johnny Cash, and it just sounds like a, 
sounds like actually maybe Ruben just kind of pumping his own tires, but it sounds like he kind of helped him discover a part of himself musically that maybe he didn't think he had, but this stuff is all very moving stuff. And, and I love Johnny Cash, you know, and, and I think, uh, these records he put out before he died with, uh, with Rick Rubin on American recordings are some of the, some of his best stuff. He, well, that I think the hurt, the, I can tell you right now, because I had showed Bridget walk the line recently and she had never seen it. Um, and we were just kind of talking and stuff. And I went to Spotify and I was just like, let me go look and see like how much of his shit is on Spotify. And you know what the most downloaded song is on Spotify? It's the nine inch nails hurt. That's oh, of course. Is it hurt. That's, 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 that's kind of, that's kind of sad, but also, I mean, that, yeah, right. it is. Yeah. Like here, right. But I think that song, I mean, Trent Reznor said it too. Like that song meant, he goes, that song might as well not even be mine anymore because when he did it, like it made more sense that he did it. He's like, I don't, Trent Reznor said, I don't even consider that song mine anymore. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, but still, I still obviously Nine Inch Nails are amazing. We can talk yeah, about I mean, him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about him for hours too. But uh, yeah, I just thought it was cool to to have a guy like Johnny Cash with his history and, and his up, you know, how he came up in music to you know, like cover these songs of these artists from completely different genres, but you know, they, they find a way to, uh, to get on the same, the same level. And it's just really, really awesome stuff. So. I don't really think Trent Reznor is not that out of school to basically say that like hurt is now a Johnny Cash song because like our local, like alternative station plays the Johnny Cash version of Hurt way more than they play the nine inch nails version at this point, even in 2022. Yeah, like it's I think, fucking crazy. I think yeah, that is crazy. When you watch that video too, because that song was everywhere, even when Cash died, like a you know, like because I think it got released. So I think they officially released like a music video for it after June died in like the spring or summer of 03. He ended up dying mm-hmm. same day as John Ritter on September 11, 2003. But yeah, that like I think, especially like when they show it in context with like the june carter stuff like yeah i mean like it's very it's probably one in a million type thing when you can re-record a song and have it be i mean it's happened a a million times before but i mean there's definitely people that knew that song and did not realize it was a nine inch nail song too yeah i was just gonna say there's probably a whole whole group of people who have no idea that that's a nine inch nail song so for sure All right. Number three for me. So uh, the next two entries of mine are actually not even full records, uh, which I kind of think tells the story of how powerful they are, even just as EPs. Uh, Number three, I'm going with Irony is a Dead Scene, Dillinger Escape Plan featuring Mike Patton. Mike Patton. Very nice. Very nice. Dude, this, this was something that hit me like a fucking sledgehammer. Because obviously, like, I grew up as a Faith No More fan, you know, hearing Epic on the radio all the time, seeing them on SNL playing from out of nowhere. Uh, You know, the real thing still gets regular rotation for me today. Um, But Dillinger Escape Plan was one of those bands that I probably didn't hear until I was starting to get into heavier music probably around like 2004, 2005. Um, What cemented my love for this band really was uh, their footage on the uh, Hellfest 2003 DVD uh, playing yeah, the mullet yeah. burden and just like all the crazy fucking shit that was going on. Uh, oh, so yeah. when I found out that they did an EP with Mike Patton, I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like I need to get my hands on this. 
Um, so I came across a copy and, you know, even though it's only four songs, uh, one of which being an Aphex twin cover, I think this is potentially some of Dillinger's best material they did throughout their entire career. Yeah. I mean, that was such a, especially back then, you know, Mike Patton teaming up with them was so awesome. Um, those are some of the, and I'm you saying you saw them back in the day. I mean, those are some of the craziest shows I can ever remember in my life. Oh, just shows. Jesus. I could literally start an entire podcast of like the wild shit I've seen happen during Dillinger's game. Yeah. I mean, they, I know at least in Syracuse, I know Jessica could talk. I mean, they, they played at some small venues. Yeah. So yeah. like, you can only imagine <laughs> what was going on. So I remember seeing them with like, they were headlining, and it was like, I mean, this was like 2004 or something like that. So it was literally like when people would show up to shows on a Monday or Tuesday and pack the crowds no matter what. But they played with like Fear Before the March of Flames at, at the Furnace. And it was literally like in Antrobay, if you remember that band. Antarabe, wow. Antarabe, is that, yeah. That, Holy that cow. And it was fucking like, it was literally, they didn't even play a long set. They played like maybe a half hour and they didn't stop and talk once. And it was just like carnage and chaos, but it was hilarious because there were still so many people that didn't understand. You can't like, you can't mosh to Dillinger songs. So they were just trying (laughs) to like, they were just trying to like so bad and they're like mosh during Panasonic youth because they thought a breakdown was coming, you know, people that weren't (laughs) super familiarized with them. And it's still like, it's just so, it was just so funny to see Dillinger because people that just wanted to go there and fucking mosh bro. Fucking you can't, you can't mosh. You, you just seize out. That's what you do. (laughs) That's what they call it. So you got to wait for 43% burnt, which I'm pretty sure at a show that Dillinger was direct support for Thursday with fake problems opening, I'm pretty sure I killed a kid during 43% burns. <laughs> I mean, do you remember the fire breathing? You used to do the fire breathing oh, yeah. as well. And, and then I remember they played a venue called Armory High, smaller venue. It's like part bar, part stage. And I think he, he the dude climbed. I can't remember who was singing at that time. You it guys refresh my memory. Ben Gregg. Yeah, because yeah, he joined right after this record came out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was like, he was like climbing up into the ceiling. It was just like the craziest shit I've ever seen. So awesome. Yeah, like I mean, even just like the shit Mike Patton was doing on this, like with you know, if you watch, there's like a short, um, like making of video that I think was part of like an EPK that Epitaph put out. Uh, but you can find it on YouTube, and it shows some of Mike Patton recording his stuff, and he's got like. It's almost like author and punisher like what that dude's doing now he's got like a fucking half a gas mask on that's like hooked up to a bunch of pedals and like he's doing <laughs> pitch shifting and like all this like and his weird like you know cartoon character shit that he normally does so like that on top of like some of the most technically proficient like math core you could possibly ever hear in your life was just like an absolute fucking time bomb like it was insane <laughs> so awesome uh so number two uh also another ep i'm going with an anthology of dead ends by botch wow fucking botch another band i i just i always appreciated always liked i just never listened to them like extensively always checked them out like checked them out um on record never saw them live or anything but um yeah they were always good but they broke up relatively early on in the 2000s right 
Yeah, it was 2002, I think, was the the final show they did. And that was actually how I heard them was uh, Hydra had putting out the DVD of the last show. And I was like, oh, I always hear because uh, it, it was probably around like 2006, 2007 when that came out. And I was like, oh, I'm like starting to get into like Norma Jean and the Chariot and stuff like right, that. Right. And like, oh, I've, those bands always get compared to this band. I'll pick this up. And I watched it. I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, and then, you know, kind of dug into the records and, you know, finally with an anthology of dead ends coming out, like basically, I think they released it like not long before they broke up, maybe like a month or two. Um, but I really think it was them at like their kind of most realized because, uh, you know, obviously there's like a lot of noise stuff on it. There's a lot of kind of that classic botch math core stuff that you were getting on like the previous LPs and stuff. Um, but then like, Afghanistan which is kind of like the the next to last track is just very it almost kind of sets the stage for what some of these guys would do afterwards with like minus the bear and these arms are snakes and shit like that where it was like kind of chill and then like worked up to like you know like you know the botch knob is like at a one and slowly turns to a 10 and then it leads into like the last track which is literally just a wall of noise that's so fucking sick the fact that like all these, you know, kind of goofy, you know, tight jean bands were like ripping them off and getting super huge while Botch kind of stayed like, you know, kind of relatively unknown is kind of a crime, I think. Yeah, that, I mean, that's yeah. another band that has probably been, uh, is widely uncredited. Um, but a lot of like, you know, those mid 2000s when band, where people were getting obsessed with bands like Norma Jean, like The Chariot, like, you know, a million other bands uh that were like that like oddly chaotic mathy but still were like appealing to like the general metalcore fan mm-hmm. uh they definitely yeah they definitely they definitely put their claim stake their claim and a lot of people unfortunately a lot of bands unfortunately uh took the rip and uh <laughs> and probably had more success than they did yeah oh for sure you know, I think about like alternative, like metal, hardcore punk, whatever. Nowadays, I think, man, it's like so like when I'm getting older, I'm like, man, things are so complicated. But the more we talk about it, like, I don't know. I think things were the same back then, too. And I just maybe <laughs> I didn't realize like there's just like we've touched on so many different genres. And we're naming these bands who you would go to a show and see them with other bands. But it's just like the sounds were completely different. You know what I mean? Like uh, maybe I was just naive to it back then. No, that's what I'm saying too. There was a division because I remember like the, you know, the more purest hardcore dudes that were like pumped on the promise. Don't get me wrong. I was pumped on the promise too. Sure. Like talking shit on because, you know, one of the bands is wearing eyeliner or something or they're wearing ties. Like I definitely remember the shit talking that would ensue and even be, you know even in later years of me wearing fucking i think i've said this multiple times on this podcast of wearing 18 vision shirts or 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 anything like the, of that vein and, and being dropped the f word on me like you know or say oh yeah. that band's a you know that band's good you know the classic uh super uh not yeah super monosyllabic fucking uh, i'm caveman with camo jeans 18 visions gay <laughs> Yeah. It's weird because there was, you're right though, there was like a tremendous division, but also you something that I feel those. like you don't see now is like you don't see these bands playing with each other. Like, right. Like you were, you were, you know, you're talking about the movie life earlier. I love the movie life. The movie life would play with, with hardcore bands all the time, but I feel like, yeah. no, that's, I don't, that's, 
It was more so the fans, the fans division. It wasn't necessarily the bands because I saw, I definitely saw like, like that, like bands, like that did not sound that were, you know, I've definitely seen um, hardcore bands play with saves the day on multiple times and not just at that last band show. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. It's funny. Ben and I were just talking uh, the other day about like old shows that we went to. And I think that I brought up a flyer for a show he went to in probably like 2001, 2002, where it was uh, Snapcase, Buried Alive, Saves the Day in the Movie Life. Fuck yes. What a like, show. Uh, yeah. yeah like, that's, what? <laughs> Jesus, that's a sick show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just something you probably don't see as much anymore, but who knows? Yeah, for sure. All right. So number two for me is, uh, is a hot water music's caution. Uh, Ooh, nice. Yeah, big hot water music guy. This is probably if you were to ask someone who's a who's a big hot water music fan, they would probably say that this is their record. You know, what I mean, the number one. This is the one that everyone says is the best record. I would agree with that. I think um, I just love I've you know I love Chuck Reagan, who's one of their front men. Um, their songwriting it's just it's just catchy, almost like rock and roll, especially nowadays too. Like they're they're still going, which they were on a, a big hiatus, but they've been putting out a couple of records. Um, they actually just had one drop recently. But um, if anybody, if anybody was to approach me and say, you know, uh, what how how what hot water music record would you would you listen to first? I would definitely be this one. Um, Trusty chords, however, sleeve, like probably one of their biggest songs that's on this record, and uh, it's probably them. Honestly, it's probably them at their best. So, so number two for me, caution, hot water music. Two hot water selections in your top 10. That is a choice, and I'm here for it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a big fan. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just I feel like the split, when I saw 2000, like, again, when I said earlier, I'm so bad with dates. Like, I can't even remember when stuff came out. Of, you know, I listened to all this stuff. I went to these shows. But me and Jesse always have these conversations, and he'll mention a date. And I'll be like, that wasn't then. And he's like, I'm telling you it was. <laughs> and I'm I'm always thinking it's like way before or way later, and he's always on point with that stuff, but I'm way off. So I will say this was actually kind of like a, an entry point for me for Hot Water Music because, uh, you know, at, at this point they had made the jump to Epitaph, and I remember yeah. just Remedy being just like just pounding the pavement Epitaph was doing, just like trying to get the word out on Hot Water Music. So it was on like. I think Punkarama, like Punk-a-rama. probably six or seven. Uh, yeah, you know, you're you're downloading like real player videos of the music video off Epitaph's <laughs> website. Dude, <laughs> like, how about a blast from the past with real player? <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! You know how you many re- times you know how many times I've tried to pull up the real player fucking thing, and you're just <laughs> waiting for it, and it literally fucking six seven minutes of a class goes by when I was sitting in Mr. Sanderson's fucking like <laughs> class. And then fucking it fucking kick into like fucking uh uh who the fuck killed John Lennon and it'd go what is that noise like and then you'd have to you'd also have to wait like a good five minutes for about five not even five seconds of uh, oh, yeah. of the clip of the video man oh, real play we have busted totally into some motherfucking relics of the past in this episode might as well start talking about Winamp after <laughs> oh it whips the llama's ass you know <laughs> oh fuck yeah. I have a question though. Do, I mean, are you a hot water fan? Like, have you do you have you kept up with them? Do you listen to any of their newer stuff at all? 
they're one of those bands that like uh I, i'm sure i said this a couple times over the course of this episode so far but like i like them i appreciate what they do but i don't like make the choice to listen to them very often yeah i um, yeah, understand but yeah they're they're a perfectly fine band like they're very good for what they do just not one of those things that i find myself just like randomly putting it on in the car yeah and i feel like there's a lot of bands in that genre kind of where uh, everyone has like one maybe you know what i mean where they all kind of i'm not trying to say they all sound the same i don't think they sound the same but it's like them and like you know like older like Leatherface and like sam i am and like small Brown, like yeah like they all kind of um they're in the same vein and i feel like everyone's got like that one you know what i mean but mm-hmm. uh yeah it's kind of so for sure i think it's a uh, j-dog for his uh was it two and one Last or two the two and one so the number two um yeah it's uh sticks and stones newfound glory newfound glory i mean my favorite record is definitely their self-titled but this one's so fucking awesome uh i've seen the 10 10 year anniversary too I, well, I saw them when they were promoting sticks and stones in 2002 i saw them 10 years later when they were doing the 10th anniversary and i have a ticket to see them in albany to see the 20th anniversary of this record this wow. record was fucking huge um it really busted them into like a higher stratosphere i think the record went gold relatively quickly and then has since i think a couple summers ago finally went platinum for them which is fucking cool um and obviously like this band always just kind of uh, again like i remember one of the first times i ever heard of 18 visions before i heard them was on the, looking on the self-titled record where they thanked 18 Visions and they did it alphabetically. So the numbered bands went first. And I think they're the first band thanked on that record, on the self-titled. But I love this record. I remember picking it up uh, when, because uh, I had like, I think it had come out like, it had come out. I didn't pick it up the day it came out, but I had picked it up like the week I started summer school in 2002. And I just, it was just the soundtrack to that summer for me. And I fucking love this band. I still love this band. Obviously, multiple hardcore tie-ins, obviously, with Chad being in Shy Halud. Um, just he went on to produce a million hardcore bands. Like they've always been like a real band. They've always appreciated seemed like they appreciated their fans. There was always a realism with this band. Um, and they were never like they always paid tribute to like all their influences, and they were never afraid to, you know, the singer Jordan, that's what I loved about him was he would wear a Husker Du shirt in one show and then he would wear an L7 shirt at another. And I just related to liking a bunch of different kinds of music and never being pigeon held, you know, or pigeonholed to, uh, to liking uh, certain bands just because that's what I was into. So I always liked everything. And I always liked that these guys liked everything. Um, this fucking record just is so fucking like, poppy and like super fucking catchy and some of the biggest hits and i fucking just love this record so uh and yeah so that's my number two. Oh, so before before we move on to your number one you were mentioning obviously the hardcore tie-in with newfound glory so i'm looking at sticks and stones on discogs trying to find some uh liner notes and shit and uh oh yeah yep go ahead yeah the liner notes here like Toby oh, yeah. and Rusty from H2O doing backup vocals. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then all of Bane and What Feeds the Fire apparently doing backup yes, vocals on multiple songs. Like, yes, what? Sir. Yeah, they were. I mean, that was, uh, dude, that's how I discovered Bane. I remember fucking seeing like Newfound Glory in uh, 
in hit like hit parader because they were in hit parader in like 2000 like 2001 and it was right when i was starting to hear all these other bands but i was already obsessed with newfound glory and i remember chad wearing a bane shirt and then another kid that was a little older for me in high school literally telling me and my buddy about bane and listening and be like oh yeah i saw the the guitarist for newfound glory had a fucking on. and that's how i discovered that is like what linked me to like bane and my link to Bane was always newfound through newfound glory, really. Um, and yeah, like again, like always, he Chad's went on to produce like terror records and shit. Like he mm-hmm. produced that H2O record that was like their nothing to prove, which nothing was prove, yeah. ideally like the the big return and like maybe like their most popular album in years. Um, that kind of even outreached their normal fan base. Um, but but yeah, sticks and stones, man. Uh, yeah, I just love. I love Newfound Glory. I've gotten shit for it from fucking kids that like heavier stuff. And uh, you know, after they became like the non, not cool anymore band, like people would always kind of like take jabs. But they're a consistent band, man. I don't think there is a band that I've seen more than Newfound Glory. Hatebreed, I've seen a million times. Every time I die. And Newfound Glory, those three bands I've probably seen more than any three bands on earth. And Newfound Glory, probably more than any of them. Wow. That's really interesting. I think I've only seen them maybe three times. But I was like a big fan for a long time. And then like probably over the last like six or seven years kind of like fell off on it. Uh, the same with Bane too, um, which is funny that you bring up how you got into them because my entry point for Bane was hearing some came running on the Atticus Dragging the Lake Volume 2 compilation. The, uh, the fucking compilation is <laughs> king, is fucking king for this era. Good. And that made no fucking sense because that was all like, you know, like... Yeah, like, I was going to say, I, did, I didn't even know that they would be on that. Uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was all like, you know, uh, I think like Lawrence Arms, Lagwagon, Boxcar Racer, but right, then right. randomly like some came running and then an over my dead body tracker like right at the very end and obviously like some came running like you hear those like toms and that riff and you're like what is this and then you hear aaron bedard's vocals you're like what the fuck is that (laughs) so it was like almost like i have to find out more about this even though i have no clue what this is no 100 like i mean this speaks to the power of the compilation holy shit oh absolutely that's a great comp too i think it still holds up yeah, I definitely had that at one point, but I I liquidated my compilations like a goddamn idiot in 2008. <laughs> um, I was just like, I don't need compilations. Like, what do I need the compilations for? And now I've I've literally been on a hunt for like the last five years trying to track down all the CDs that I stupidly got away, got rid of. Um, I mean, I kept a, a bunch, but I just tried to liquidate because I was just like, I have so many CDs, I got to get rid of them. I don't I. You know, I don't need fucking random fucking band from fucking drive through records and all these comps. Like, when was the last time I listened to these comps? And then you start thinking about it. And you're like, I need to physically own this or I will probably stop breathing in my sleep tonight. <laughs> See, this one, especially Dragon the Lake Volume 2, is really interesting. So I'm looking at the track listing now. So many bands we've all mentioned over the course of this episode. Yeah. Like the, this entire track listing, Rocket from the Crypt, Hot Water Music, Thrice, Finch, Dropkick Murphys, Blink-182, Sparta, Slick Shoes, Dillinger 4, Suicide Machines, Lagwagon, Maxine, Further Scenes Forever, Jets to Brazil, Boxcar Racer, Transplants, H2O, Taking Back Sunday, Rising Ends, Boss Tones, 
matchbook romance, hot rod circuit, down by law, over my dead body, Bane and alkaline trio. Like what the fuck? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's actually that's actually fun. There's it's pretty eclectic, but yeah, there's a lot of great bands on that. Wow. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my number one. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure you both can take a while. Yeah. You want to? <laughs> do you want us to? Do you want us to announce it? Or? Yeah, yeah. I actually will do that. You guys can both announce it. Someone announce the name of the band and the name of the album. Oh, I mean, I guess I'll take suit. I'm. I'm guessing it's. Uh, let's see, 18 visions. Vanity. 110 percent correct. <laughs> uh, I mean. If you couldn't tell, if anybody did listen to the episodes I did with Keith and James from 18 Visions, it was pretty much, you know, uh, two separate hours of me filleting them and their music. Um, <laughs> it was just, you know, and to get those guys on the podcast, to be able to talk to them and, and even talk to them off mic and, and talk to James uh, about like some vanity stuff off mic too. Like it was just a, a soggy dream come true. Like I literally like... <laughs> Vanity was like vanity. I mean, it's, it's again, like everyone was an until the ink runs out guy. And I was too. I fucking fell in love with that record before vanity came out, but vanity just being so fucking dynamic and crazy and chaotic. And the time signatures were even crazier than they were on until the inks. We had like five and a half fucking minute songs, fucking a million different fucking transitions. And it literally like, defined who i was in a million different ways like a fucking pink album cover these guys that look like super like like mod punky with fucking creepers and fucking jet black hair and fucking tattoos and just war ties i thought it was the fucking coolest thing and for me even though i think a lot of people would never associate associate them with like a punk style the the punkness that i came from of loving punk rock i think that's why and, he, and even though like a band like the Ramones is a jeans and t-shirt punk rock band, the, the uh, aesthetic of like what punk was kind of, I think 18 visions fit more into that, but they played this like chaotic fucking rock and roll fucking metallic hardcore conglomeration of fuck that. I just, it literally, it, it buttered me so hard. I fucking, uh, I melted, I melted with the biscuit. Uh, so oh my God. <laughs> um, and it was just, I mean, the album, like I, like I said, I've I've defended this band for years when it wasn't cool, when I was being called, uh, when I was being called, uh, you know, uh, gay slurs for for liking a band with a pink record, like that. That's think about how fucking absurd that is, and how like close mind. That's how close minded the hardcore scene was. But then there was the people that got it, and the people that at least appreciated or respect it, even though it wasn't their thing. Um, and now, and Eric, you can attest to this because you had seen, I had seen 18 Visions since I'd reunited. I've seen them so many times, but Eric you, was with me when I, we caught him their 2018, uh, set and they played, uh, you know, several vanity tracks as well as a lot of their older material. Um, and Eric can attest, it literally looked like an early 2000 show for 18 Visions. Yeah, I mean, for sure. For me, obviously, you know, I mean, I, I loved 18 Visions. I, I, I love the first couple of records. And Vanity was kind of like that record where I, I kind I liked it. But like after that, I really fell off. And then when they when they came back with their newest releases, like they definitely returned to I felt like returned to like an older form. Mm -hmm. um, you know, seeing them when we saw them at This Is Hardcore, it kind of 
I, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of just brought me back to a different time in their career. But yeah, they're a great band. Um, they've always done it their way, and that's kind of what I like about them. Um, and look at the bands that you know, the members of that band and, and some of the other, you know, Throwdown and Bleeding Through and stuff. Uh, highly influential. And uh, obviously, like I said, that was like my formative years listening to heavier music. Saw 18 Visions a lot, and and I always thought they were great. So, I mean, dare I say they were ahead of their time in, you know, as, as far as their music goes Definitely. and just their, you know, their brand. I mean, you know, obviously you had like the fashion core boom of like, you know, 2005, 2006 with, you know, tight pants, white belts, you know, can I speak to the manager haircuts, youth larges, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously they were kind of, um, you know, before their time on that. And then even like under like capital H hardcore, um, you know, to a certain degree, whenever you had bands like Advent who were like very well dressed and had, you know, slick back hair, thick glasses, tons of tattoos, you know, like, you know, white shirts with the sleeves rolled up, uh, you know, I'm sure they, you know, that kind of aesthetic owes itself a lot to, you know, the kind of extreme aesthetic that 18 Visions had. Plus, like, I mean, with this record, you literally had Jane's fucking yarling over like Orange County breakdowns. Yeah. Like, yeah. which if it wasn't, uh, I'm sure I said this earlier when I was talking about a Treyu, like if it wasn't for this turn, I don't think bands like Avenge Sevenfold or later a Treyu would exist. 100%. I've, I've always said it, Avenged Sevenfold. Avenged Sevenfold became what 18 Visions, you know, Should laid have. the ground, laid the ground, yeah, laid the groundwork for. Like without 18 Visions, Avenged Sevenfold does not transition from a metalcore band to a rock and roll band without having 18 Visions lay the bricks in which Avenged Sevenfold rolled their fucking like $200,000 cars down and collected fucking, you know, <laughs> platinum records. Um, Still works my mind a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I remember Event Sevenfold opening for 18 and opening for Bleeding Through. Yeah. When they would come up through here. And it, I mean, regardless now, I think there's a, a deep appreciation for what 18 Visions did. And I think it took some time for people to be like, holy shit, they kind of were definitely doing it long before the, all the other bands that uh, reaped the benefits of, of that did. Oh, for sure. And Eric, like you were saying about you know 18 visions newer material with you know what was it 18 was like the the record yep. that came out yep yeah it was the and then 1996 which i thought was a fucking fantastic coverage record fucking like amazing. it seems like they're kind of like yeah we you know we we embrace what we did with vanity and you know kind of even a little bit of burn halo in there but yeah until the ink runs out is still pretty fucking awesome <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that record, I think, oh, Jesus Christ, I mean, we could talk to the whole podcast on that record, too. I mean, it's just a super influential band that I think as the years go on, I think I think uh, time's being more kind to them now, which oh, I'm for sure. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Jesse, and I don't even know if we've ever talked about this being so close, but is is Vanity your favorite 18 Visions record? It's, you know, it's so fucking hard. Like, I have Obsession tattooed on me um right and i think it, it's so hard for me to say i think i would say yes i think i would i think i would have to say yes just because it i think it it it, it suits what i am like i'm a fucking i'm a chaotic mess that <laughs> 
ends up sounding coherent somehow. And I mean, I'm not as pretty as a pink album cover, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, it always just felt like it was a record for me. So I would say, yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, it's so hard. Cause like, I feel like I'm slighting like fucking records. I adore by saying that, but I think vanity, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. I mean, I own fucking, <laughs> I own fucking so many copies of each of the records, but <laughs> I mean, I mean, vanity. Yeah. I, yeah, it's got to be. It, it's a perfect That's bridge nice. between what they were doing before and after, which is a really, you know, it sounds dumb, but it's like, you know, it's it's not as rock oriented as something like Obsession, but it's still not straight up like, you know, spin kick you in the face where it's like, you know, they're still like, you know, Adamantium was fucking awesome. But yeah. Guns and Roses is kind of sick too. Exactly, dude. Exactly. You, you know. That's a great. That's a great way to put it. That's great. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. All right. So my number one. My number one. My number one is going to be uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Songs for the Deaf. Ooh. No, you're a big Queens guy. I I had a feeling that it was going to be in there, but I completely forgot, and it ends with one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I love Queens so much. I mean. Um, Josh Hame, uh, obviously people have their views on him. He's kind of crazy or whatever, but I personally think the dude is like a musical genius. Uh, some of the, some of the people he's worked with throughout his musical career kind of speaks to it. I know him and Grohl are, are, are tight. He's worked with Iggy and uh, John Paul Jones and uh, Led Zeppelin. And, but the, this record, this record's amazing. The way that Queens of the Stone Age, I mean, they've, they've progressed throughout their career. Like their first record, people would call it like a stoner, stoner metal type. But I know that they never really uh, accepted that genre. But um, the way they meld all genres, like punk and metal and, and just rock and roll. I mean, this, this record is, is, is phenomenal. And I think this is kind of the record that also kind of really put them on the map for that short period. If, if I guess you could say that they've been put on the map, I don't even know, but, uh, but I just love, I love everything that they've, they've ever done. And I, I yeah, I just think Josh Homme is just a, a musical genius. So this is definitely my, my favorite record of theirs as well. Probably actually that might be arguable, but, but this one is amazing. So. Yeah, I mean, this I was definitely the one that kind of like catapulted them into like yeah. popularity, I think, cause no one knows it was like a huge single. Yeah, yeah, that one, that and that's probably that probably was like I gotta think that was their biggest song that they've ever had. I gotta think. So. Yeah, and I mean, like, think about like the core lineup. Obviously, like, there's a bunch of like insane like guest spots on this, but like, you know, you have members of Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Caius, and fucking Screaming Trees making a record. Yeah. Like, there's no way it's not going to be fantastic. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I mean. Like I said, he's a controversial individual as well. And, and yeah. like you said, mentioning all the people who who have worked with him. But I mean, yeah, when you put it that way, this this record does have some weight behind it, huh? With some with some musical talent. True. I only I only wish that Grohl kind of stuck around. Oh, I, think, I thought that I think everyone I that wishes that. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been cool. I mean, I just thought it would be would have been cool. Uh where he's not like because he, he like we talked about, he kind of is Foo Fighter, so it would have been cool to see him stick with them a little bit longer just like kind of be be the drummer you know what i mean mm-hmm. i mean he drums his fucking ass off on this record too like yeah i mean like music for the dead is just like that i don't even know how he does that 
No, same, man. I mean, I, I could never touch any of that talent. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Fuck yeah. Mine wasn't as passionate as Jesse's. I feel bad now. I feel like I maybe oh, I should have sang. I got, sang I, got a, I got a sick, twisted love affair with Vanity. So, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be tough to top that. <laughs> but Perfect. hey, I'll, I'll try my best Take with my number one here. Yeah, bring us home. Bring us home. All right. So, I got to go local. I'm a Pittsburgh guy. Love, you know, love all things Pittsburgh, except the racism. It's not great. Uh, but yeah. my number one's got to go to Parade of Chaos by Zayo. Nice. Damn. Great. But, I mean, there if we couldn't tie 2002 to, together anymore, then 18 Visions, Zayo, and, and Queens of the Stone Age. I mean. <laughs> Very indicative. The, yeah. Hey, that would have been a sick show. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, <laughs> that fell um, out of fucking amphitheater fast, quick, and in a hurry. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, like Zayo, uh, I've had a, a very long history with this band. Um, they were actually one of the first heavy bands I ever heard because uh, in like 2000, uh, I got really into the Juliana Theory uh, right after Emotion Is Dead came out, and oh, yeah. just kind of you know, perusing message boards and, you know, reading different websites. I was like, oh, the, you know, the singer of the Juliana Theory used to be in this other band. Let me see what they, you know, sound like. So I, uh, I jumped on Napster, which is what I did at the time and downloaded Where Blood and Fire Bring Rest. And I was like, oh, this is not the same. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like I'm 13 years old hearing, you know, this like, you know, almost teetering on, you know, black metal, weird Christian hardcore record. Uh, and I was just like, what, like, what is this? And then that kind of, you know, began my love affair with Zayo. And eventually I came to Parade of Chaos. Uh, and I really think this might be one of their best records. I mean, they're probably, God, they've probably got close to 10 full lengths at this point after kind of being on and off, uh, you know, for the past probably 25 years or so. Um, but this one, like, you know, it's basically, it's a heartwork era carcass ripoff, but like in the best way possible, um, you know, just in like the, the tones, the vocals, um, you know, the, the production, is like kind of wild because it's it's big and it's crisp so it definitely has that like death metal flair to it but you know it definitely has these like you know two-step parts and like there's a fucking ballad mixed in there with angel without wings and like there's even you know talked about it earlier there's a west memphis three song in there which like i can imagine that the brass at solid state was probably not too happy about that <laughs> yeah uh oh yeah these three guys that were you know accused satanists that murdered children they're innocent and they were just like whoa 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 wait a minute <laughs> um but yeah like you know like they were kind of one of those bands that was turning like you know religion-based hardcore and you know whatever you want to call it like kind of turning it on its ear around this time and you know, obviously now I don't think they consider themselves religious individuals or definitely not a religious band. Um, but, you know, like this is intent, like the, it's just an intense record overall. Uh, you know, there's weird experimentation that they were kind of doing on the self-titled record before this. 
uh, where you know uh, their drummer did the entire thing with a fucking virtual drum kit. Um, but yeah, it's I, I think this might be one of their best records, and uh, yeah, definitely proud to uh, to say they are a uh, you know not the whole time they've been a band, but they are definitely a Pittsburgh product nowadays. It's awesome. Yeah, you know I got I would say dare I say that they're extremely underrated think about some of the other bands some of the other bands in their little uh there's their slice of the genre get a lot of get a lot more dues than they do i mean like you said how many full lengths they had how long they've been out how long they've been together i really think that they're not talked about enough to be honest with you no they 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 really aren't like it's kind of odd too like just because there's definitely but i also think that they were kind of like uh they also had a little bit of a niche fan base, but yeah, I don't know. they had a mystery to them as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, yeah. Had a, they weren't like super out there, if that makes sense. At least, at least in my grasp, like you look at a band like Converge, you see the fucking Jane Doe everywhere, tattoos, shirts. Yeah. <laughs> it just it, it feels different with them. You know what I mean? It's a little more mystery to it, and I kind of like that. You know, I want to say that like what did Zayo a disservice? And this is one of those things that I could literally have an entire podcast about this was just their dysfunction, like as a band, like if you watch like their three and a half hour long fucking DVD, that literally is just like from beginning to like, you know, them signing the ferret and releasing the funeral of God, they, they broke up like 10 times. They went through members like, you know, Shai Halud does now. And, you know, like literally were breaking up on stage at club Laga in Pittsburgh, like, uh, you know, so I think that kind of paired with kind of being on the outskirts of like Christian heavy music at that time. I mean, like, you know, there's songs about, you know, Dan's brother committing suicide. They had a song about, you know, like a porn star that was disfigured in a car crash that took her own life. You know, they have songs about the West Memphis three. Um, so they were definitely like, you know, writing songs about shit that like, you know, probably, you know, people at tooth and nail and solid state were like, this kind of makes us uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, So I think that that's probably why they didn't get the push of like, you know, a demon hunter or like, you know, insert fucking solid state band here. Um, You know, on top of the fact that they just like couldn't keep their shit together until recently. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I would play into it a bit if you're constantly breaking up and, there's a lot of drama within the band. Yeah. But I think it's so rad that they're your number one, man, honestly. Yeah, oh, dude. Yeah. And, and like, they, they've kind of like caught a second wind. I mean, like now, you know, they played this as hardcore a few years ago. They play occasional shows here at like really small venues and it's always like fucking wild. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool to kind of see them get like a second life. I still, I still listen to, I'll still pop on funeral God every now and then because i just i fucking love that record oh dude it it's so good and it's again like kind of one of those weird fringe things of like you know what if it's like a concept record of like what if god just turned his back on humanity <laughs> like, it, yeah and it came it. out on fucking ferret at the time that they're doing like <laughs> shit with like mad ball and like you know whoever else yeah fuck it. every time i die and yeah, yeah. Mad Ball and fucking the banner and fucking all these other random bands on that label Fuck, definitely yeah. a weird time what a what fucking list this was a fucking this was awesome um let's yeah it was a great time 
Before we close out, let's throw out some honorable mentions. Uh, I'll go. I got Taken Back Sunday, Tell Your Friends, which we already talked about. I got Suicide Notes, Butterfly Kisses as uh, uh, honorable mention as well. And then a few more. Of course, One by One by the Foos. Uh, Changing of Times by Under Oath. That almost Ooh, made the too. top. Almost made the oh, top. Yeah. Oh, man. That introduced me to that band. I remember going to Hellfest specifically for them and them and CKY um, in 2003, like just being so fucking jacked for Under Oath. That fuck was a great was, Hellfest, by the way. Uh, fuck yes. It's fucking uh, life changing. I just want to say, too, Under Oath, early, early Under Oath. The records before that record are fucking oh, yeah. awesome, too. Like those oh, yeah. records are so sick. Yeah. Qu- questionable lyrical content, but like music, like right. fucking yeah, dark as shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh last one glass jaws worship and tribute mm-hmm. glass jaws i was huge for glass jaw uh only saw him once which was at warp tour 2003 but uh i fucking love i love that record love glass jaw nice. right on i'll just throw a couple out really quick i mean some of them we already talked about I mean, you know tear from the red and shadows fall and get up kids but i had murder by death like the exorcist but more brank dancing that's like they're like one of my favorite bands this is their first release it's kind of before they really found their sound but i i felt like i had to put it on the list um i also threw like tiger army's early years ep on there uh, oh, just because obviously tiger army's amazing um and yeah that's actually really all i had really Nice. Yeah, I got uh, quite a few. I'll uh, kind of rattle off the ones that we mentioned already. Hatebreed, Perseverance, Piebald, We're the Only Friends We Have, Foo Fighters, One by One, 18 Visions, Vanity, Under Oath, Glassjaw, um, Body Count, Self-Titled, which I was just talking about, like probably could have eked in at number 11. Um, Norma Jean, Bless the Martyr. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Forgot all about yeah, That's yeah. what I mean. I knew you knew you're going to forget something like that record was super important as well. So, yeah. Uh, Strung Out, American Paradox, uh, which is like the only record of theirs I'm really into. But like, I think it's like a really good, like metal influenced punk record. Um, Thrice, Illusion of Safety. Um, Fuck, forgot all about fucking Illusion of Safety. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bright Eyes Lifted are the stories in the soil. Um, Bad Religion, Process of Belief. Um, agoraphobic nosebleed frozen corpses stuffed with dope um coheen cambria second stage turbine blade uh jesse i think this is one that we were talking about uh over instagram a couple months ago uh red cord fused together in revolving doors (laughs) fuck yeah that's definitely my honorable mentions i won't rework my top 10 but yeah that was that was a good one that was a big one uh, three more, uh, Lawrence Arms, Apathy and Exhaustion, uh, Cannibal Ooh. Corpse, Gore Obsessed, and Cattle Decapitation to Serve Man. There you go. Yeah. So many, guess, so many records, so many bands. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, what I love about it is all three of ours, like we have some similarities and like genre wise, but like everyone's got kind of an eclectic list and I love that. So, oh yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. We each kind of had our own route of 2002, which I liked. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Greg, you want to plug uh, anything you got going on? Anything for Neon Brainiacs? Uh, let the let the people know. Uh, sure. So yeah, uh, if you're not familiar with my uh, previous uh, appearances on the Hot Crowd Media podcast, here uh, I am one of three now co-hosts of Neon Brainiacs, uh, where every Wednesday we talk a different uh, '80s horror movie. 
Uh, actually, for the month of April, we're breaking the rules, doing some 90s movies. Uh, but, you know, once May hits, uh, we will be going back to the 80s. Um, but yeah, check us out anywhere you get podcasts. Um, if you're in the greater Pittsburgh area uh, on Saturday, April 30th, we're going to be doing a, a live bonus episode recording at the Riverside Drive-In in Vandergrift during their uh, April Ghouls Monster Rama, uh, where they're going to be playing uh, Evil Dead 2, Halloween 2, Terror Train, Midnight Effects, uh, Reanimator, Zombie 3, uh, Zombie Holocaust. So uh, before the sun goes down, we're going to be doing some recording there. And um, just as a sneak peek, we're actually going to be doing our five-year anniversary uh, episode as a live event, uh, hopefully Saturday, April or August 13th uh, venue to be announced, but uh, hopefully somewhere in the Pittsburgh area. So uh, yeah, if you like the show and, uh, you know, Pittsburgh's not too far away, uh, come on down and I'm sure in the coming months we'll uh, we'll have some extra information on that. Fuck yeah! I always uh, I always forget our podcasts are uh, were started within the same like ten days of each other. So both podcasts turn in five years. You guys, I will give you credit. You guys don't miss a fucking week, and I love it. Uh, we kind of just do it whenever the fuck we feel like it because we're we're crazy and we're lazy. But uh, I do love that you guys are are so consistent and fucking. I'm loving the, I'm loving having Lance on board now too. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, in my sabbatical, I definitely, uh, did a lot of thinking about the show and kind of how I admittedly took it a little too seriously in the, in the previous years, but you know, now got a brand new outlook, got a brand new co-host, just feeling great about the whole thing and just, you know, whatever's fun, we'll do it. Fuck yeah, man. Well, if you, uh, haven't heard, you have now. Neon Brainiacs, Velbon, uh, Apple, Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you list, get your podcasts. You can check that out. And uh, yeah, you can follow Greg on Greg's podcast at Neon Brainiacs on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow us at Hard Guy Media on Instagram and Twitter. And you can hear this wherever you're, well, if you're hearing it now, you're listening to it on a fucking podcast. So I don't need to tell you what, what <laughs> fucking to listen to it on. Um, I'll do that in the description. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks a ton, Greg. This was fucking awesome. I'm glad uh, we could have uh, you join and have Eric on because Eric's obviously the <laughs> the co-host with the most. So definitely pumped. Oh, boys, it was an absolute honor. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Great times. Hell yeah. Thanks, everyone. Uh, like I said, check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Hard Media. And thanks for tuning in. And this was one of our longer episodes. Uh, We are going to have some longer episodes coming up because eventually we are going to cover the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise in one go. Like we we did the Friday the 13th franchise. That (laughs) trigger warning, we're probably going to offend a lot of people if you go back and listen to the Friday the 13th episode because we're all running out of about an hour of sleep. And we were razzing Brian pretty hard at that episode. But the new, <laughs> the Nightmare on Elm Street one is bound to happen this year and bound to be just as crazy. And we will be back with an official review of the new Ty West flick X that Eric and I had recently seen over the last few Ooh, weeks. Fuck yeah. And I, Greg, I know you were a, you were a fan too, right? I absolutely was. Go see it if you haven't already. Yes, please go out and, and support yeah. it in the in the cinema if you can. Exactly. Support horror. 
All right. Fuck yeah. This has been the Fighting Time Podcast presented by Heart Guide Media, and we are out.